get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Happy Tuesday. That's right, it's Tuesday because you had yesterday off, which is great. Uh, Michelle Smallman, Randy Character, 701. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Randy. Happy Tuesday to you. Oh, this is great. And I'm off Friday, so tomorrow is hump day for me, but it's only it's a short hump day. I didn't know you were off Friday. This I is think, great news for you. I think one of the things that America needs to advocate for, and we need to do this as workers, is the three-day work week. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, I would be very yeah. much in favor of a three-day work week. I hear, and I don't remember where I heard it, but every other country in the, in the world does it. Well, I know a lot of countries do four-day work weeks. I've heard they've kind of gone to the three-day, though. I'm into it. Um, Now, would you extend the workday? Would you, in order to get the other days off, extend your workday past eight hours? Eight hours? (laughs) For other people? Uh, Yeah, I would be on board with that, as long as I get the long lunch, like the Italian lunch. A good pausa. Yeah. Yeah, when I lived in Italy, they would just shut down the entire city for about an hour to two hours every day. And us Americans that live there would be like, what do we do? And they're like, have a lunch, enjoy people's company, relax, get a chocolate caldo, an espresso. And you know what we did? Because we cannot sit still as Americans. All of us joined a gym. And we went to the gym, and we were the only people in the gym, except for (laughs) one Italian dude that would wear jeans and walk on the treadmill at like a (laughs) 1.5. But we we just, it's not in our DNA no, to take a break. So I'm with you. Maybe if we are forced to have extra days off, we can have one full day of relaxation. We need that. We have Chris Kerber coming up on the show today. Mike Claiborne is going to join us at 845. We're going to talk to the wizard, Ozzie Smith at 9. Jeff Darlington of ESPN at 915, talking a little NFL. So a lot coming your way. The Cardinals win 15-4 to on Friday. And then on Saturday... They get shut out by Adrian Hauser, who was unbelievable. You would think at some point, Michelle, and I was listening to the Cardinal game as I was driving home from Columbia, and Adrian Hauser keeps throwing first pitch strikes. And you would think at some point they would start swinging at first pitches from Adrian Hauser. If he's going to do that and you know you're going to be down in the count, why not start swinging away? If If he keeps firing them in there, why not take your shot? Yeah, and he was great. He was. Taking nothing away from him, but the Cardinals, uh, they didn't provide much resistance on Saturday in a 4 nothing loss. Then Sunday, Michelle, uh, I went out for a bike ride. The Cardinals were ahead, and so I, I was out riding my bike, but that was a good win, too, on Sunday. That's not what happened, Randy. That's not what happened. So Alex Reyes called upon to protect a 5-2 lead. Bases loaded, one out in the ninth. And it didn't no, no, no you're, you're talking about last Sunday, no, Michelle. No, no, no. You're Randy, talking about Randy, the Sunday before. A couple days ago, it didn't end well, my friend. It did not end well. 
Tying run is at first, the pitch. Swing and a fly ball. Deep right, are you kidding me? Oh, never mind. Walk-off Grand Slam Brewers win. (laughs) This this Alex Reyes deal is really upsetting for me because I wanted so badly for him to succeed this season, and he did. This is an all-star. Up until Mm -hmm. about a month ago, Alex Reyes had been incredible for the Cardinals, and I just hate that he keeps getting put in these positions, and it's not working out for him because this is somebody who obviously has a lot of talent and who's been through so much, and I just hate that his season is ending like this. Yeah, I do too, but... Tony LaRusso always would tell me that September's a different animal. And it is. Playing that sixth month is yeah. what separates the great teams from the good teams or the, the not-so-good teams. And you see the Cardinals fading here in September. They're now three games out on the loss side, three and a half in the wild card race. And at the end of the day, it just becomes overwhelming when you have lost your number one starting pitcher and you've got a bunch of guys in the bullpen that have never had to throw six months before and now they're having to throw six months. It really is a different animal when you get to September, which we saw yesterday. Max Scherzer is a grizzled veteran and Max turns in a virtuoso performance. He was fantastic. Eight innings. He struck out 13, allowed only one run on six hits, didn't walk anybody. And He's a grown man, and the Dodgers have a lot of them. (laughs) He is, in fact, a grown man, and that's when you know that someone is so incredibly talented when they beat the team that you're watching. They beat the team that you tune in for, and you still have a great time watching the game because you're so in awe of what you're watching from Mm -hmm. the opposition, and that's Max Scherzer. Whether he had the St. Louis ties or not, because I think a lot of people here have affection towards him because he's a native St. Louisan, he is so incredibly talented that anytime I get an opportunity to watch him, I'm going to take him, and what an acquisition by the Dodgers. He's been perfect for them well, since they acquired him. He, he and Trey Turner. <laughs> right. And this isn't an affront to the guys that are playing for the Cardinals, but Chris Taylor is playing in the outfield for the Dodgers. He would start at second base for the Cardinals. Max Muncy, Max Muncy plays at first for them. He would start at second base for the Cardinals. Obviously, Trey Turner, who's starting at second for them, would start at second. And uh, Seager, who plays shortstop, would start at short. They have four middle infielders. Their second two would start for the Cardinals. And that's just how great the Dodgers are. They're one of the most talented teams I've ever seen. Yeah, they really, really are. World Series favorites in your mind? I would say so. Me too. Yeah. Even though the, the Giants have had such a good year, and the Giants have handled the Dodgers, but... When you get into a best of five, a best of seven, and you have Kershaw, they'll get him back, and you have Bueller, and you have Scherzer, and you have Urias, and you've got the bullpen that they have in the lineup that they have, they really don't have any holes. Kenley Jansen might be considered a hole by some, but I, I would take him if I had the opportunity. I'd take him closing for the Cardinals right now. Let's put it that way. That's true. So the Dodgers have won all seven of Max Scherzer's starts since he yeah. was acquired. And I wonder how the Padres are feeling about that situation. I keep thinking about how they were so close. It seemed like all signs pointed to him going to San Diego. And then he ends up going to the Dodgers. And he's so magnificent and has been so critical for them. And if I'm a, a Padres fan and I knew mm-hmm. that we were so close potentially to having him and be, him being such a different difference maker in this race for us that has to drive them nuts it does and i don't know what the padres were offering 
But the Dodgers offered two top 20 prospects in all of baseball. Who else can do that? Yeah. See, that's the thing. Even if the Cardinals offered their best guys, if they offered Gorman and Libertor, that wasn't as good as what the Dodgers gave up to get Scherzer and Turner. I don't think that the Padres had that. Their best pitching prospect, Mackenzie Gore, has gone in the dumper. He's terrible now. I don't think even they had the prospects to give up that the Dodgers did. The Dodgers gave up probably the best catching prospect in baseball and one of the top five pitching prospects in JoJo Reyes. And that's the thing about the Dodgers is not only do they acquire the big contracts and the stars, they are building from within. They have a great Mm -hmm. farm system and they have the resources to go out and make a deal like that. Yeah, they're remarkable. So Kudos to them. They they spend their many their money smartly. And Martin Kilcoin tweeted last night that you know, the the Cardinals, looking back, probably should have engaged Scherzer. Not that the Cardinals were ever going to pay Max Scherzer. Wait, which time this season or prior? No, prior. Oh, when, okay. In twenty fifteen. <laughs> yeah. When he got the two hundred and ten. And by the way, um, Scott Boris is his agent, and Scott Boris doesn't give hometown discounts. But look at it this way. If you sign Max Scherzer before 2015, and this is totally 2020 hindsight because I get where the Cardinals were after 2014, after going to the NLCS. But think about it this way. If you sign Max Scherzer for $210 million, you don't sign Fowler for 82 and a half. You don't sign Leak for 85. All of a sudden you're at 170, basically right there. You don't sign Brett Cecil. That's 200 million. You don't expend, extend Piscotti and uh, Carlos Martinez. All of a sudden you've got a net gain. If you sign him now, you also, because he's really, really good. You never fire Mike Matheny either. But, hey, you take it. But well, your you, team's probably much better. You have an outfield of Gritchick, Pham, Piscotti, probably in 2017, 2016, 2017, to give those guys an opportunity. Uh, now, do you sign Yachty after, uh, right at the beginning of 2017? Do you give him that three-year, $60 million contract? That's the question. Yachty, Wayno, I wonder. Wayno was already under contract. He, was, he, he okay. had already signed and had four years to go. Yeah, Yachty's a big question then. What would you have done then? But I think that that's one of the things that frustrates Cardinals fans is, yes, they were coming off, you said, the NLCS, right? 2014 NLCS. Is they want the Cardinals to have the Doug Armstrong take the knife, jam it into their eye and into their brain and kill them and not say, well, we're coming off an NLCS run and we're in pretty good shape. I think a lot of Cardinals fans want that mentality of we're coming off an NLCS run and we're adding Max Scherzer to Mm -hmm. our team because we are going to win the World Series next year. But the reality of the situation is the Cardinals still, to this day, seven years later, haven't given a guy or aren't paying anybody $30 million a year. It's just not going to happen with this franchise in this era. Now, as revenues increase, perhaps they will. But the Nationals not only signed him, Scherzer, but they, they've given Strasburg $30 million a year. Haven't seen anything out of it. Patrick Corbin's getting $29 million a year. The Dodgers are paying Mookie Betts $30 million a year. Scherzer, uh, they gave Trevor Bauer that kind of money. Kershaw's getting that kind of money. Some organizations do that, and some organizations don't, and the Cardinals are a little bit more hesitant to make those kinds of moves. And maybe maybe things will change moving forward, but you can't help but look back. And if you ever were going to change your philosophy, Max Scherzer would be the guy you would have done it for. Right. Not only is he going to be your ace, and you know what he's what a difference maker he's going to be for your team, but he's a hometown guy. <laughs> he's the guy you put on billboards. He went to Mizzou. He's from here. He 
checks every single box. There's there's no re- reason other than the price tag for you to say, eh, I don't know. No, no, he's sensational. Well, that and the Cardinals did have at that point, Wainwright, Lynn, Lackey, uh, Waka, Marco Gonzalez, Carlos Martinez, uh, Jaime Garcia, and they've been to the NLCS. And Oscar Tavares had just died. Oh yeah. So they were trying to fix the offense. They traded for uh, uh, for Hayward. So th- there were a lot of things going on with the Cardinals, but they felt pretty good about their pitching and not so great about their offense. It's kind of amazing how so many things were affected by the death of Oscar Tavares. The ripple effects from that one tragedy with this organization is very far-reaching. Yep, and we saw part of the results of that yesterday with uh, Max. Not that the Cardinals ever, they they weren't going to sign him. That's the bottom line. They weren't going to sign him for seven years and $210 million. But he was fantastic, and he'll probably be on another world champion. And oh, by the way, the fans, it was great that they were yelling, we want Albert, we want Albert at the end of the game. And he'll probably start against Hap tonight as the Cardinals and Dodgers play game two of a four-game series. It was great to see so many people at the ballpark yesterday. Uh, But why wouldn't you have bought a ticket for yesterday? Albert Pujols back in town. uh, The Dodgers, great team here. And Max Scherzer on the mound. That's many reasons to buy a a ticket to the game yesterday. And a perfect day weather-wise, It really was. And over the weekend, Mizzou wins their first game of the season. 34-24 over Central Michigan. Not so much luck. For the Illini, who fall to Texas San Antonio, 37 to 30. They just couldn't get over the hump. They kept trying. They were within 10, within 7, and just couldn't get over the hump against UTSA. They made a run there at the end. I thought maybe they were going to be able to, to, to pull it off, but... UTSA was a strong opponent, and we talked to Coach Bielma last week, and we knew that they were not going to be a team that was just going to come in and Illinois was going to walk all over them. But they finished 9 of 17 on third down. Illinois, mm-hmm. their defense just could not get off the field. And, of course, Art Satowski was playing for Illinois again. And I was I was impressed with what he was able to do in totality, but in the beginning of the game just couldn't really get things going. And, listen, Randy, Rome wasn't built in a day. Rome no. was not built in a no. day, and I am not surprised that there was some sort of setback in the Brett Bielma era because that's how life goes. And as he said after the game, the worst thing that could happen is that this program doesn't learn from a loss like this. Gary Pinkle started off with loss to Bowling Green. Now, Urban Meyer was their head coach, so <laughs> yeah. it turned out that they were they were coached by a pretty good coach. Yeah. But you do... You're, you're right. You do have to withstand, when your program has been down for a while, withstand some bumps in the road before you get good. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. We're off and running here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, a little edition of What's Better? Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780 on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> of what's better here on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. And Emily, what have you got for us? From the 636, what's better, parking for Blues games or parking for Cardinals games? Well, that's easy, Randy, because I go to the Missouri Athletic Club's downtown clubhouse and park at the downtown garage each time. So, oh, it's there the same. you go. Well done. I would say that uh, parking for. Cardinals games is better and easier for me. From the 636, what's better? Hot dogs or hamburgers? Hamburgers. Yeah, burgers. That 
uh, this is not to throw any shade on hot dogs by any stretch of the imagination, <laughs> but a great hamburger is like one of the best things in life. It's great. Yeah, the best burger beats the best dog. Yeah, it does. And I, I'm not down on hot dogs, but I certainly think twice before ordering one now that we saw that report that it takes, what, 30 minutes off your life? Yeah, 35. 35 minutes off your one. life? I don't know. It's a tough decision. I passed that stage. I don't worry about that anymore. <laughs> From the 618, what's better, the Rams losing to the liar Stan Kroenke or the Rams losing to the cheater Bill Belichick? Wait. Well, the Rams can't lose to Stan Kroenke. Yeah, he's Kroenke. their owner. How can they lose to Stan Kroenke? That's what the textures. Were. So, uh, it, the, I guess what would be better would be for them to lose to Bill Belichick. Yeah, I don't get that one. I don't either. But as long as the Rams are losing, I think both you and I will pick that. We're happy. Yeah. Yep. From the 636, what's better? Tailgating at a college football game or tailgating at an NFL game? College football all day, every day. And it's not even close. When you are winning in the NFL, yes, it is. There's nothing like, for example, tailgating before the greatest show on turf. Nothing like that. I can't. I never experienced that. But I cannot imagine it's better than tailgating at the Grove at Ole Miss or for LSU. It's a religion there. There is. I'm telling you. There was nothing more fun than knowing you were going to stomp the opposition. And having that team and tailgating on a, on a day like today for the, the St. Louis Rams, that was incredible. What, is, what about as a third party, if you were going to visit, you know, if, you, if you're going to Green Bay and you're going to tailgate for the Packers as an outsider, or if you're going to LSU and you're going to tailgate as an outsider? Green Bay. Really? Yep. Interesting. From the 636, what's better? Colton's ovation with limited fans the first time or his second ovation with more fans? I would say the first one because he cried. Yeah, I'm with you. And he had just written that great piece Uh uh, with The Athletic, I believe, about what St. Louis meant to him and how hard it was for him to leave the city where he grew up and how St. Louis and the fans would always be such a big part of his life. And for him to step in the box as a member of the Brewers and realize this is a completely new chapter and this place and these people mean so much to me and get emotional. I don't think anything's going to top that. Can we make Albert cry tonight, maybe? As Again? A, as a fan base? Yeah. Um, I don't know if he'll cry just because he's already experienced it yeah. once, but I'm sure it will be again very touching for him i mean it had to be very cool yesterday for him to hear the the crowd Mm -hmm. chanting we want albert over and over and over again from the 615 what's better a revitalized laclede's landing or nashville's lower broadway oh revitalized laclede's landing would be incredible yeah it would be really cool i i missed the landing in its heyday it was pretty cool but i heard it was very fun yeah and broadway you've been there more recently than i Probably has been fun, but it might be jumping the shark a little bit. I agree. I mean, again, Nashville is such a great place, but I feel like the every time I go to Nashville, it's a new city. There's so yeah. much that's happening, and there's so many tourists like myself that are going <laughs> there that it's it's um not the same experience I had the first couple times yeah. I went. We'll put it that way. From the 618, what's better, raising cane sauce or Chick-fil-A sauce? Chick-fil-A sauce. Chick-fil-A sauce. No doubt. Yeah, it, it's, that's just a stamp of approval right there. Right. It's, and by the way, tomorrow, Wednesdays with Wayno, brought to you by our friends at Chick-fil-A. That's Get right. a Sunjoy tomorrow. Sunjoy Wednesdays. Yeah. From the 314, what's better, Andy's frozen custard or Fritz's frozen custard? Fritz's frozen custard, hello. 
Yeah, there's no doubt about it. By the way, your spot uh, closed down for the year. Did you see that? White Cottage? For the year? Yeah, because they couldn't get employees. What is up with that? I hear so many people in the restaurant industry and maybe in other industries just, that just can't get employees. Yeah. I was talking to someone who was opening a restaurant the other day and he's like, I had to push it back a month because I can't find employees. That's amazing. I was like, I'll work on the side yeah. <laughs> on the weekends. Why not just throw the game on in the background? I'll check people out. Yeah. Channel 5 had a report about White Cottage and even when they had employees, the owner said there would be nights where four out of five didn't show up. They just didn't show up? Didn't show up for work. This is in Belleville. Come on. To my 618 people, what are you doing? Yeah. We need people to work at White Cottage. This is very upsetting to me because I would have definitely gotten one more cookie dough concrete before the season was over, had I known. Wow. Normally, they stay open for another month. Man. Bumming me out on a Tuesday that it is a Monday. Sorry. Yeah. Well, at least it's a Tuesday. That's true. Not a Monday. That's true. From the 314, what's better in the 2003 MLB draft for the Cardinals? Catcher Derek Barton, who was number one, or Scherzer, who went in round 43? Missed the boat on that one. Yeah, I would have said that uh, Derek Barton would have probably been better. Or, I mean, Scherzer. And especially since Scherzer was right down the road. Right. right? Yeah. So, they did draft him once, but... Uh, he, he decided to go to Mizzou. Mm. I think they drafted. Let me double check this. Did they not? Let's see. Max Scherzer. Yeah, drafted. I don't know. I believe they drafted him out of high school. Yeah. But he decided to go to MIZ. Man. And oh, Max. He, uh, yeah. It would have but hey, 03. Oh, yeah. You would have had Tony and Dunk developing him. He would have come up. Uh, maybe he arrives on the scene the same year as Wayno. Can you imagine? Oh, my gosh. Wonder if they make the trade for Wayno. That's a good question. Uh, drafted in the 43rd round of 03 by the Cardinals, and then a first rounder by Arizona in 06, coming out of college. From the 217, what's better, Roland or Arenado? Both pretty great. Yeah. B- based on their Cardinals career, because we have the large sample size with Roland, and he did go to the World Series with the Cardinals. Uh, actually, a couple World Series. He won one. Uh, he was part of the MV3. I think right now you have to go with Scott Rowland. I agree. And maybe at the end, once all everything is said and done, mm-hmm. Nolan Arenado will be what's better. But right now, I think you have to go with Scott Rowland. From the 314, what's better? A position player pitching or a pitcher playing a position? Pitcher playing a position because that shows creativity on the part of the manager. Like when Whitey would put Ken Daly in right, or I guess it was he, he would do both, but most of the time so that he could get a left-hander to get one left-handed hitter out, he put Warrell in right field, bring in Daly, and then Daly would get the left-handed hitter out, and then he'd put Warrell back in the game on the mound. So that that sort of creativity and fun, which existed uh, when you didn't have the three batter minimum, was great. I wonder if you're a pitcher and you get put in the field, if you're just thinking, please don't hit it to me. Please don't hit it to me. There are some pitchers that do take fly balls before the game and some that don't. So if you're the guy that does, you say, don't hit it to me. Please don't hit it Definitely. to me. Yep. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. Coming up, it was a good weekend for Mizzou. Not such a great weekend for the uh, Fighting Illini. And was it a really bad weekend for Clemson? That's coming up on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
Let's take a look at some college football over the weekend. A good win for the Tigers in Columbia. Tyler Beatty, 25 carries for 203 yards in a 34-24 win for Mizzou over the Chippewas of Central Michigan. Here's Coach Eli Drinkwitz. Great to be 1-0. There's going to be all kinds of things we got to clean up and, and um, all kinds of things we'll go back in the tape and fix. But, man, I'm really proud of the way our team responded after being down 14-7. You know, we came out fast, um, didn't respond very well to a turnover, and, and, and they took the lead, scored twice. You know, we were kind of puddling around right there and, uh, you know, just proud of the way we responded. Fought. Michelle, the Tigers allowed 475 yards of offense to Central Michigan. They were all gained 475 to 468. The running game was particularly strong for Mizzou, but they did allow 301 yards passing as well. And Central Michigan is not going to be as good as Kentucky is next weekend. That's true, and they're going to have some things to clean up, but as Coach Drink just said, good way for Mizzou to respond, and when they're down, come back and end up winning the game, but great position for them to be in, starting 1-0. Starting and by the way, even though they did allow the 475 yards, they had nine sacks, the most they've had in a game since at least 2000, and the newcomer, Blaze Aldridge, he's a graduate transfer from Rice, had three and a half sacks, most that a Mizzou player's had since 2000. 2006. So there were some good things that came out of that defense. And Tyler Beatty, he, he, he's used to touching the ball 10 times a game. He touched it 28, had the 25 carries and the three catches. And he was terrific in the offensive line, played really well. Blaze Aldridge is a great football name. <laughs> Meanwhile, let's move to Saturday night and uh, the fighting line. Sorry about that. Do we have to? Yeah, we do. Okay, fine. Uh, I'm ready. Down 14 nothing early, and it was just one of those nights where I kept thinking that Illinois was going to be able to come back and get over the hump and get ahead of UTSA, so and they just couldn't. So did I. Up, up until the final minutes of the game, I thought they were going to come back and be able to at least tie the game and potentially win it, but this is kind of a calling card for Illinois, Randy. It's the eighth loss to a non-Power 5 program for Illinois football since 2010. Wow. It's, it just shows you where the program has been, and also it's indicative of what Brett Bielma has to do, the work that he has ahead of him. Lovey Smith left the program in a better position than he found it, but it's not going to be smooth sailing for the Brett Bielma era. I saw a lot of tweets, the honeymoon is over, the honeymoon <laughs> is over. Well, of course, he's not taking over Alabama. It, there's work to be done, and you're implementing new things, and the, your, what was your starting quarterback, and Brandon Peters still out, still nursing, nursing that shoulder injury, and although in totality, Art Satowski was able to put together a pretty good performance as the starting mm-hmm. quarterback for Illinois. He just couldn't really get things going in the beginning of the game, and um, you know that's going to burn you. And we mentioned this off the top of the show. Let me pull up my notes here. But basically UTSA was awesome on third down all night long. They finished 9 of 17 on third down. So when the Illinois defense just can't get off the field to put Satowski in the offense in a position to come back, it's going to be tough. UTSA with 497 yards of total offense, and they were really balanced, Michelle, 280 through the air, 217 on the ground, and the Illinois offense, and Satowski's their backup quarterback. It's a different animal when you don't have your starter in there, and that's one of the reasons they lost. I kind of think if Brandon Peters would have been in there, they would have been found a way to get over the hump there. We like to think that, right? Yeah. And not only is it uh, tough when you're going to lose to UTSA, but it smarts a little bit more when you know they're, they're cashing a million-dollar check to beat you. Yeah.
Not That's great. the worst. Not great. There were some other really big college football games. None of none of them bigger than Clemson and Georgia. And Georgia comes away with a ten to three victory. And Marcus Pierce yesterday on Get Up on ESPN said that Clemson might be in trouble. Gee, I, I hope the window has not closed, but it's looking like it. And look, th- this is not just about recruiting. Dabo and that staff are still going to recruit at a high level, but there needs to be some evolution, especially with this offense. And I remember sitting there at SEC Network when Nick Saban hired Lane Kiffin. All right. That was a that was a line of demarcation because Nick Saban decided I need to have the ability to put up 50 points a game. And that was the evolution that they made. And right now, Clemson offense looks anemic. It looks too dependent on stars as opposed to schematically being able to to get some things going. When you look at that Georgia game and we all expected Georgia defense to be really good. But when you look at what Clemson was doing, it was so predictable Mm -hmm. and it was so it was so Clemson for the last five. Five, six years that we've seen but in that in that time you had Deshaun Watson mm-hmm. you had Trevor Lawrence you had Travis Etienne you had Higgins you had all of these players that could overcome that they are beyond that point now because what happens in college football and P-Town knows this we've talked about this a thousand times P-Town is what I call Paul yes, Fine, no, Bob, I know, for yes. everybody sure um if you don't figure out that next wave and that's what that the bottom line is that is what has made Nick Saban Nick Saban. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be a year and a half, two years ahead of where everybody is because I see it faster than everybody. And I think Dabo is at that point now where he has to figure out from an offensive standpoint how they can be exposed. Well, let me come. A couple of things. Number one. I'm going to give it more than a loss to Clemson before I say that, or a loss to Georgia before I say it's over for Clemson. Yeah, uh, <laughs> what looks like it's going to be a team that could contend for a national title. Right, right. right. With, a, with an incredible defense. And Clemson did lose their co-offensive coordinator, Jeff Scott, although they do still have Tony Elliott. And they lost... The first pick in the NFL draft, Trevor Lawrence. And they had Ungulele, who was making his third start in college football against a really good Georgia team. I'm going to let this breathe a little bit, and I want to see what Clemson does in the ACC before I determine that the window has closed for Dabo. I'm with you. I think that while there is a bit of truth to that, um, Nick Saban is always a couple steps ahead of everybody else, mm-hmm. which is what makes him the greatest. It's not like Dabo's lost a step. He's just re- rebooting. He's not rebuilding. He's rebooting. And sometimes that takes a little bit. But, uh, you know, DJ Ugalele, you, you mentioned he sacked seven times. You know, Georgia's defense was just suffocating on Clemson the entire night. They had, what was it, two yards? They rushed for two yards, Clemson. And um, Georgia looks like they really can be a national title contender and that they can win with a strong defense. But I wondered that 70-yard pick six in the second quarter, Mm -hmm. Christopher Smith, that was a difference make the difference in the game, that play right there. Yeah, it was. And Georgia's offense had as much trouble. So is is the window closing on Georgia because they didn't score a touchdown offensively either? Good point. (laughs) Good point. So that was just two really good defenses, and that happens in football, and somebody had to lose that game. And it's also week one. Yeah. It's also week one. So if this was maybe, if we were talking about this in early December, maybe we would think differently of it. But when you're losing someone like Trevor Lawrence and you're resetting certain things with your team and you come out and you play a really tough opponent in Georgia in week one, 
I I think both of these teams are national title contenders, and just because one of them lost the first game doesn't mean that the window is completely yeah. closed. And let's talk about Alabama because they did route Miami 44 to 13. Bryce Young, his first college start, 27 of 38 for 344 and four touchdowns. And uh, oh, by the way, Jamison Williams, St. Louis product who went to Ohio State, transferred to Alabama during the offseason. Uh, four catches for 126 yards. And a touchdown, a 94-yard touchdown for Jamison Williams. Pretty darn impressive for Alabama to start off the way that they did against Miami. Absolutely. And yesterday, Nick Saban confirming that Christopher Allen, they're very effective and most one of the most productive defensive players for Alabama. He's going to have surgery on a fractured foot. He's likely out for the rest of the season. So good start for Alabama, but at a cost because that's going to be a tough loss for them. Yeah, absolutely. But you know what they'll do? They'll just plug in another five-star <laughs> guy. Right. I say a tough loss and they'll be completely fine. Yeah. That would that would absolutely sideline so many other teams, right. but Alabama will be just fine. Yeah. Does it bum you out when you see like a Cardinal Ritter guy who was was at Ohio State enters the transfer portal and hey, if it was my kid and he was really talented, I would tell him to go to Alabama too. Yeah. But it'd be cool to see those kids. We we got a chance to see Mookie Cooper on Saturday for Mizzou. I wish Jameson Williams would have come back to Mizzou. Yeah, that would be cool. But I I look at it kind of like you did, like the way you started this, that I think it's amazing that a local product gets that opportunity yeah. to go play for Nick Saban. Yeah, it's great. And likely win a national title. Yeah, likely. No doubt about it. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And coming up next, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Take it or leave it. Coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle, Randy, Emily, great to have you with us on 101 ESPN for Take It or Leave It. Michelle, last week, apparently, ESPN took the time to do 20,000 simulations of the entire 285-game NFL schedule. Wow. Their simulations had the Seattle Seahawks starting off 0-8 with Russell Wilson as quarterback. Take it or leave it. The 20,000 simulations were a worst of time, waste of time and energy. Based on the Russell Wilson just segment that, this game? Just that. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and take that because I would be floored if that happened. I would too. They also have the Carolina Panthers landing the first pick in the NFL draft, seemingly conveniently forgetting that the Houston Texans exist. <laughs> um, there is there another team that I would put in the mix there? My mind is going quickly. What other team would you put in the mix? For first pick in the draft? Yes. Emily? My brother is a big Colts fan, and he's pretty convinced that they're going to go 0-17. Wow, really? And With T.Y. Hilton having uh, the neck injury, mm -hmm. Carson Wentz seemingly injured all the time now in preseason. Emily, tell your brother to read this article at ESPN.com <laughs> because they have the Colts finishing with the best record in the league Whoa. and then losing in the first round of the playoffs to... The Jacksonville Jaguars. Interesting. He yeah. will be excited. 13 and 4 is what they have the uh, the Colts and the Bills going. Hmm. And their Super Bowl is Buffalo over the 49ers, I think. Or no, Buffalo over Green Bay. That's what it was. Buffalo over Green Bay. That would yeah. be an interesting Super Bowl. Yeah, it'd be fun. No Tom Brady, though. I'm surprised. I thought the simulators would be TB12 fans. You would think so. Uh, in the wild card round, let's see, the Buccaneers, they won their division, 
and they beat the Saints in the divisional round. And then, this according to the simulation, the Packers defeat the Buccaneers 39-26 in the NFC Championship game. The Aaron Rodgers revenge game. Yeah. <laughs> After two years of NFC Championships. Yes. So, yeah, simulation, waste of time. But I read the whole article, so they got me hooked. So not a waste of time because they <laughs> no, got the clicks. Right. They got your clicks. And we just spent a bunch of time talking about it. So not a waste of time. Okay, so you mentioned the Houston Texans. They announced that Tyrod Taylor is officially named the starting quarterback for the Texans. He's going to make his debut for the franchise this Sunday against Trevor Lawrence and the Jacksonville Jaguars. So obviously just Deshaun Watson on the Texans 53-man roster. Expected to be a healthy scratch on game days for Houston. Take it or leave it. Pretty simple one. Deshaun Watson plays one snap of NFL football this season. I'm going to leave that. I don't think that another team, even our Dolphins, will have it in them to take on the burden that Deshaun Watson has become. And I certainly don't see the Texans putting him into a game. I know that there's no love loss between the Texans and Deshaun Watson, not only because of the allegations and potential legal ramifications of the situation, but it seems like so long ago, but he was wanting to hold out, requested a trade. He didn't want to be there. But even with all that being said, and I hope Tyrod Taylor has success. He's a guy that I would love to see come out and surprise people. But I wonder if that's still a very hard decision for the Houston Texans to not to not just swallow uh, a tough PR battle that they would have to deal with and play Deshaun Watson because take everything else uh, happening off the field and push it aside. He's a very talented quarterback. Led the league in passing yards last year and you are paying him you one of the biggest him. contracts in the NFL. Uh, take it or leave it. If you are Tyrod Taylor and somebody offers you a painkiller shot, you say, no, I'm good. Oh, are you kidding? <laughs> I would be like, don't even say those words to me. <laughs> Last year, he, uh, before the first game, got his uh, lung punctured by a painkiller shot from a Chargers doctor. Can you imagine having that conversation with him? Hey, Tyrod, so um, your lung is punctured. It was an accident. We're really sorry about that. Everything's going to be okay. Yeah. I mean, what's your response? I'm sorry. You accidentally punctured my lung? <laughs> what? <laughs> well, if you're the Chargers, you got to say, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> it was before kickoff. We were in top. Everybody was excited. <laughs> Emily, what do you got for us? From the 618, take it or leave it, with the Cardinals' track record against the Dodgers. If the one game wild card is against them, the Cardinals win. I'm going to leave that. No devil magic this time? No. No Pete Cosma, no Daniel Descalso. No Matt Adams? No Matt Adams. And a Dodger team that now has figured out how to win. And oh, if yeah. there is a wild card game, Kershaw, uh, we won't see him for another week. You're going to see either Scherzer or Bueller or Urias. You probably aren't going to see Clayton Kershaw, who a lot of the devil magic occurred against. Even though he's won his World Series and he's had his big postseason moments, take it or leave it. If it was a one game playoff and Kershaw was pitching, you'd like the Cardinals chances a I little would. bit better. Yeah, I take that. From the 314, take it or leave it, the ESPN NFL simulations are better picks than what the fast lane comes up with. Oh, I'll totally take that. Take that for sure. Yeah, no doubt about it. And the fast lane uh, going against the Riz show with their pick'em challenge this week. You can get involved at 101ESPN.com. Wait, I need to provide a caveat here. The fast lane with Matt Holiday now. Yeah, that'll be so the difference. So Matt Holiday, we know, is going to bring his fastball every week. So yeah. I think he's going to give the fast lane a little bit of a boost. Yeah. 
And hey, the fast lane has they have a guy that drags him down. I'm not going to mention any names, but they have a, have a guy that drags him down. So they need holiday. What does it rhyme with? Uh, Balter. <laughs> I have no idea who you're talking about. <laughs> not a clue. Balter drags him down, huh? Oh, yeah. No, oh, he's, yeah. he's the pick'em guy. He's a, he's a gambler, yeah. He's the gambler. And he's still working here. He's not making a bunch, bunch of money gambling. Interesting. I wonder if the fast lane is just going to come out and shock everyone and crush the ratio for they maybe might. the first five or six weeks. And we're participating. You can join up at 101ESPN.com and you can go up against Emily and Michelle and myself and BK and Ferrario and the fast lane and the ratio and Matt Holiday. I have signed up. I still have to make my picks. I made my. I'm, I have to change one of my picks because Zach Martin is out. That's why I've been waiting to see exactly who's in, who's out, all the latest news before I make my picks. But yeah, please do it at 101ESPN.com. We have to put together a team for our uh, big league impact. I meant to text you yesterday. I feel like we've been saying that. And now that we have our, our team name, just yeah. the two of us, we need to put together the team. Yeah. We need to so, register even. We do it every week, so we, but we have to do this week's team. So are we going to have a war room? How's this going to go? Every week we're, yeah. we're going to get together and we're going to determine who we're going to pick? Everybody that's tuned in, us and everybody that's tuned in, yeah. All right, cool. From the 636, take it or leave it, the Titans make the AFC championship game. Very interesting thought. I'm, I'm going to leave it. I'm going to still go with the Ravens or maybe the Bills. Yeah. I, I kind of like the Bills. As well, and I, I the Chiefs are going to be there, aren't they? Well, that's why I didn't yeah, even mention their name. I, I didn't lot, even mention yeah. their name because I just have them in Sharpie. Yeah, I know there's a lot of love out there for the Browns. I'm not there yet, so I, I'm just I'm not going to put the Titans in there. And if Julio Jones is healthy, that might change things for me. But I just don't see him being healthy. From the 314, take it or leave it. If the Cardinals fall out of the playoffs next year at the deadline, you consider trading Flaherty. Yeah, I'll take that. Yeah, because the haul that you could get, if you if you play next year, and you assume that you aren't going to be able to sign Flaherty because it's going to cost you $324 million, and you have not only the end of next year, but another year of control of Jack Flaherty, if you can get a haul for him, yes, you do. I just felt my temperature rise because after hearing they're gearing up for 2022, they're gearing up for 2022. If by the trade deadline, they're completely out of the playoff picture and you're talking about offloading Jack Flaherty, you've got a lot of issues. Yeah, you would. And, and that by just the made way, my temperature and my pulse rise <laughs> because I don't even want yeah. to think about that. By the way, since the second half of 2019, where he almost won the Cy Young because of that, mm-hmm. didn't pit, pitch much in 2020, hasn't pitched much in 2021. He has some rehab to do, doesn't he? He has to not only rehab physically, but he needs to show people that he is a durable pitcher again. For an entire season. Right. So he needs to stay healthy. for the, If that were to occur, he would need to stay healthy for all of next year, too. And I would think that it would be a team that... It would be kind of like the Scherzer trade. If you're the Cardinals, you have to get two top 10 type prospects. And the team that gets him is going to have to want to pay the $324 million it would take at least to sign him. From the 702, take it or leave it, Alex Reyes should get scheduled innings whenever KK starts the rest of the season to start building him towards being a starter next season. Any further high leverage relief appearances will be counterproductive. I'll take that. 
Yeah, I'll definitely take that. After what we saw on Sunday, I don't know how you you put him in that position again. Yeah, have it have it mapped out. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. And thank you very much for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. The Cardinals lost a weekend series to the Brewers and then lost to the Dodgers yesterday. Should we even be thinking wild card anymore? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> The Cardinals back home after what, to me, Michelle, turned out to be a disappointing road trip. You do take two of three in Cincinnati, but you only split with the Brewers and you lost two of three in Milwaukee. And the Cardinals need to consistently win now. And when you look at the standings and when you look at the schedules of other teams and when you look at what those teams are accomplishing at the moment, I'll start with what I think. I I just don't think that it's worth our time and breath to talk about the wild card. At the moment, the Padres lead the Reds by one, the Phillies by two, Cardinals by three and a half. The Cardinals who were within one, actually were tied on the loss side, are now three games back on the loss side, three and a half out overall. And they're only a, a, a game ahead of the Mets at the moment. I just don't see the Cardinals being able to put together a consistent enough run to be able to catch up to the Padres or the Reds or the Phillies. Well, Randy, as I believe it was William Shakespeare once said, expectation is the root of all heartache. Mm -hmm. So if you're expecting them to go on a run, you're setting yourself up for disappointment and you're setting yourself up to be bummed out because we did the numbers last week and there was a razor thin margin of error if the Cardinals were really going to go on a run and secure that wild card spot and since then it's it's been whiplash for a while now they get a little bit of momentum and then they have a big setback and then they get a little bit of momentum and then they have a setback and my neck hurts from the whiplash but when you come out versus Milwaukee and you have another great Adam Wainwright performance and you win 15 to 4 I think most Cardinals fans expected the next day to not be good because that's what happens when you have a six 69 and 67 team. You have really high highs and really low lows, mm-hmm. and what you get is an average. You get yeah. you get an average so team. But five and five road trip. That's kind of who they are, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. And it's confusing because I think a lot of people still look at this team and they expect them to be better. You can't really put your finger quite yes, the Jack Flaherty injury is something that certainly is always going to be a reason why this team wasn't able to get to the point that we hoped they would. Um, injuries, period. But a lot of teams deal with injuries. A lot mm-hmm. of teams deal with injuries and they're able to overcome injuries. Um, and when you look at the names that you put together on this roster, you just expect them to be better. But after that game on Friday night where you thought, all right, they set the tone for a really strong series versus Milwaukee. They get shut out the next night and then we all know what happened Sunday. They're in a position to win the game and a, a Grand Slam walk-off, a blown save. And that's devastating on a couple of fronts. Number one, because it happened and you had a a 5-2 lead. But the other thing is, is that it had happened the week before. You had the the 3-1 lead and you lose 4-3. So back-to-back Sundays, you have that happen to you. Games that you had won, one one against a team that you should have beaten, certainly in Pittsburgh. Another where you feel like, okay, we're going to steal one here. Because I thought, heading into about the last 50 games of the season, that if they played 6-7, 7-7, and six against Milwaukee and played basically 700 ball against everybody else that they could be a wild card team. Well, 
they aren't doing either at the moment. They they haven't been able to handle Milwaukee to the satisfaction of getting over the hump, and they certainly haven't played 800 ball. Right now, the Cardinals are five and five in their last ten, and they're like you said, Michelle. They're 69 and 67 overall. Heck, the Cubs are have won seven in a row. The the Cubs disassembled and have won seven in a row. And I don't think anybody logically would look at the two rosters right now and say, well, the Cubs are better than the Cardinals or as good as the Cardinals or even as close to as good as the Cardinals. But that's just the way things are going for the Cardinals. And granted, they are playing Milwaukee and the Dodgers, and those two are both better teams and very well could wind up in the NLCS against each other. True, but what do you think is going to happen if you get to the playoffs? You're going to play no. good teams, and you need to beat good teams to, to be in that position. I thought it was a great opportunity for this team down the stretch. Yes, you were going to play really, really quality opponents, and thus far this season, the Cardinals haven't fared that well against teams with a winning record, but I thought it was a great opportunity for them to prove that they belonged to not only Mm -hmm. position themselves to be a playoff team, but to prove that they can be good teams and get a little bit of momentum there. And not only are we not seeing that, but the teams that they're chasing and that have been chasing the Cardinals, namely the Phillies, uh, you went over it last week. I believe they're they're scheduled that they have the rest of the season. They're going to coast to the end. So not only do the Cardinals have uh, a tough schedule remaining, and they haven't necessarily been able to put something together, but the other teams are doing their job. So if you're the Cardinals, I'm looking ahead to 2022 now. You hope that Flaherty's healthy. You hope that Reyes is healthy and in the rotation. And I like the idea of our texture on Teoli of getting him ready and prepped. Maybe even start him a game where he's only going to go a couple of innings, but get him ready to, to start at the beginning of games. You hope that Wainwright comes back. I, I do, at least. Libertor was your pitcher of the month in the minor leagues. So I think at some point next year, you see him. You know you're going to have Michaelis. And then you have to figure out what you want to do. And if, over the course of six months, you think that KK or Hap or Lester can help you out for the entirety of a season. Or maybe assign two of them and hope that combined they'll be able to put together a season for you. I think the Cardinals, uh, specifically the front office and ownership, are always having one eye trained towards the future. Most decisions are made with the future in mind. But I... I wonder if making certain moves, like some of the ones that you just mentioned, is that them conceding that we're not going to be a playoff team? And you're only three and a half games out Mm -hmm. and you still have a month left to play. Is that something that they would do? I would hope that there would be a level of rationality there. And this is this is taking nothing away from their efforts. But let's just be rational here. Are the Cardinals as good as the Giants? Are the Cardinals as good as the Dodgers? Are the Cardinals as good as the Brewers? Are the Cardinals as good as, big picture, the Padres? Are the Cardinals as good as the Braves? Are the Cardinals as good as the Phillies? The Phillies right now, they're starting Zach Wheeler, who's going to get Cy Young votes. They've got Kyle Gibson, who's had a magnificent year. And they've got Aaron Nola. And their offense, Bryce Harper, has been really good in the second half of the season. I don't I don't think the Cardinals are as good as the Phillies because of the fact that they just don't have what they expected at the beginning of the season, the beginning of spring training in terms of pitching. But their counter would be, we have Adam Wainwright. We have Paul Goldschmidt, who's been really hot. Mm-hmm. We still have Nolan Arenado. You know, they're going to have a point-counterpoint if you're arguing yeah. in for the Cardinals here. And I, I just don't know if I see them in any way making a concession and saying we're out of this oh, thing. Oh, no, they, because they're still believing in what happened in 
2011 and 2006, and it did happen. There's no doubt about it. They had an 83-win team that won a World Series. They had a team that was 10 and a half games out in September and won a World Series. But when I look at stacking up the Cardinals, and I'm going to assume that Jack Flaherty isn't going to be there. So you've got Wainwright in a three-game series against Wheeler, Nola, and uh, Kyle Gibson. Let's let's leave Scherzer, Urias, Kershaw out of the mix here. Or against DeSclafani and uh, Tyler Boyd and... Uh, 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 and Kevin Gossman, uh, three three guys for San Francisco. Who do you start after Wainwright? Who starts game two of the series for you? Oh, man. Is it Lester? Is it Hap? I was going to say. Is it Michaelis? Probably Hap for me. Yeah, so Wainwright, Hap, then Lester in game three. They just don't stack up. And I... I'm. I don't expect them to be rational because they're in the they're in the hunt. They're they're in the fight. But if I step away and look at the rest of the league and then look at the Cardinals, I say, no way. No, there's no way that even if they would magically put together a streak where they could get into a wild card and then magically beat the Dodgers, then you have to take on the Giants. And I don't see a way where in a best of five where the Cardinals beat San Francisco, even though they've had success against San Francisco this year. Oh, you meant to say devil magically? Yeah, devil, devil magically. magically. That would be what it would have to be. You're right. And where we sit, we understand that it's going to be a nearly impossible road for them to get there. However, when I look at this team, so many of these guys are going to be on the team next year. And if you're really gearing up for 2022, I want a team that fights tooth and nail to the end. I want a team that is not satisfied with losing. I want guys that no matter how hard the odds are or whatever they're facing are going to fight until the end. Because guess what? If you are a team that's supposed to be a playoff team next season or a team that's going to go to the World Series, you're going to get down and you're going to need to Look at Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina. How many times have they been in positions where the odds mm-hmm. were stacked against them and they are fighters and they were able to find a way to win? We thought Adam Adam Wainwright every week. He never counts himself out. He never counts this team out. And even if they don't make the playoffs, what I would like to see from now until the end of the season is for them to fight. Well, they're already doing most of the right things by playing Sosa pretty much every day. Sosa's a better player than DeYoung right now. By playing Tommy Edmond and, and leading off Edmond, you've got your corner infielders. I, I believe that they're doing the right thing at the catcher position. They're doing the right thing in the outfield. I, I'm not talking about bailing. I Heck, if, if you start and essentially start a bullpen game with Alex Reyes rather than KK, I like my chances just as much. That's a good point. So uh, I'm just talking about doing little things to prepare for next year, not throwing in the towel because they don't have anybody to throw the towel in with. They, they don't have a young shortstop or a young outfielder to play. They, they aren't going to play Kisner. I'm just talking about little tweaks that I think would benefit them for a six-month season in 2022. Where you could do both things concurrently? Yeah. Yeah, and that's happened and teams have won with it before. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that is today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to talk to the voice of your St. Louis Blues training camp this month. Chris Kerber next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Character and Smallman, and we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and uh, the voice of your St. Louis Blues, Chris Kerber, joining us right now. Kerbs, good morning. How are you doing? 
Randy, Michelle, I'm doing great this morning. How are you guys? Everything's terrific, and uh, we're glad to have you with us on a Tuesday. Let's start with this. Training camp starting up this month, and... uh, there had been word last week that if nothing was done with Vladdy, that it was likely that he was going to start camp with the Blues. Is that where you stand right now, that he's more likely than not going to start camp with the Blues? I have been in that camp since day one of this story breaking. I mean, and, and it hasn't changed. I just There just hasn't been the market for him, Randy. And, and that's the uh, that, that's kind of the key to this whole thing, is that when you're coming off of the amount of time that he has missed – you're coming off of uh, demanding a trade. You have the ability to limit the teams at which you're going to be traded for. Doug Armstrong has known that he's requested a trade since just a few few days after the season ended. I mean, you put all that together, and if a deal was there, it would have been there. So when you look at the cap situation of teams right now in the National Hockey League, there are 11 teams currently over the salary cap. Right, And most of those are contending teams. So 11 teams currently over the salary cap. You have until, I think, a certain day right before the season to get yourself down underneath the cap. And sometimes long-term injury plays a role in that. There's 16 teams, including the St. Louis Blues, that are within $1.5 million of the salary cap. So that's half the league that's within a million and a half dollars of the salary cap or over the salary cap. And that's the situation that teams are facing right now. So you know, you look at that, and, and you know the simple movement of a seven and a half million dollar average annual value contract is not something that is going to be done very easily. And if you're the Blues, the reality of it is, is this, if this was the last year of the contract, maybe you say, okay, I can eat this much of the contract. You're not so as willing to do that with two years left on this deal. So to me, it's got to be the right deal that hasn't surfaced. And and to me, it was going to be a hard one, especially with the unknown of Vladimir's overall health. So. Put all that in 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 the picture, and it, to me, it looked like one of those situations that would have to play itself out once the season began. To be honest with you, Curbs, what are you hearing about Oscar Sundquist? Because I keep thinking that a healthy Oscar Sundquist is so important to the success of this team, and I'm just wondering what the latest you're hearing on him is. Yeah, you know what? I, I don't know if he's going to be ready to start the season or not. We I haven't heard, uh, you know, beyond oh. A, few months ago actually to be honest with you michelle but you're right he's such a key piece to this hockey team i mean let's face it for some reason the way this team has been designed uh, the role that sudquist and barbashev have played have been kind of the engines of this hockey team right so uh he's a critical piece he's an important piece and even i mean he had two big time surgeries done you know so the, the fact that it may take him a little while longer uh, is, is one of those things that uh, you'd rather have him healthy some point in time during the season, ready to go, than start a little bit early. Um, you know, from those that I know that have talked to him, he's progressing well, he's done well. I just do not know where his overall health is at the moment. And in, in addition to a healthy Oscar Sunquist curves, when I look back at last season, I think about not having Sonny, but I look forward to this team. If you have a healthy Oscar Sunquist and a healthy Colton Pareko, this team is in a much better position than you were at certain times last year. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, and, and things were so – guys were nicked up, guys were banged up, uh, you know, and, and like Colton Pareko was never really healthy all season long. And the challenge with this upcoming season now that you know that the NHL is going to participate in the Olympics is you're going to have that three-week break in the month of February. Right? You'll play Montreal, I think, on February 1st, and then you don't play for another three weeks. But players that go to the Olympics will play. The challenge is, is with the season starting when it does and now the regular season will end – in late April, 
you still have what is a pretty condensed, compact schedule where you're playing, you know, a lot of games, sometimes three to four games a week, and that, that'll take a toll on some bodies. So you're going to need depth, and you're going to need health, and you're going to need some luck. But if you're going to start the season off right for the St. Louis Blues, you need those two players, as you mentioned, to be ready to go. Curbs very rarely in the NHL does a player move as a restricted free agent. It happened this offseason, though. A week ago, the Hurricanes signing Canadians' former number 3 overall pick, uh, Jesperi Kokaniemi, to a one-year $6.1 million contract with a $20, that's right, a $20 signing bonus. And the Canadians this weekend decided not to match. They'll take the one and the three next year. What did you think of that? And by the way, when you talk about teams with uh, salary cap space, that moved Carolina all the way up to the top to one of those teams that's at the cap. Yeah, so the the restricted free agent offer sheet to me has been one of the fascinating topics that that I don't think gets enough attention in the National Hockey League. And the reason is, is because it almost never works, right? I mean, let's face it, go back years ago when Chris Pronger could have become a basically could become a free agent, right? And doesn't get an offer sheet that tells you that something's wrong, mm-hmm. right? So it's one of those things because of the amount of money that you offer somebody, the compensation is big. So I, I believe Sergey Fedorov got an offer sheet at one point, and, and we saw David Backus, right, and, and go back and forth. But most of the times, if somebody signs it, like Ryan O'Reilly did, Ryan O'Reilly, I believe, signed one with Calgary, right? And Colorado matched it early in his career. Teams match in this case. Montreal decided not to match. Carolina put an offer that they felt that was going to put Montreal way over the cap and affect their team too much. They decided we'll take the first and the third. And then they used part of those picks to make a trade for Christian Dvorak with the Arizona Coyotes. So to me, a, a, a kind of a fascinating weekend to find that happen. What we have seen with these restricted free agent offer sheets, though, Randy, is the vindictiveness of general managers, mm-hmm. right? I mean, so if you remember the uh, – the, uh, Vancouver tried to sign David Backus to an offer sheet. That didn't work. Then the Blues tried to sign one of the Vancouver players Mm -hmm. to an offer sheet. That was signed. And you see that more and more. And this was one of those times. Montreal had tried to sign Sebastian Ajo to an offer sheet and put out a quote when they did. Ajo signs it. Carolina match. Now Carolina had a chance to do it to to, uh, Montreal and basically verbatim put out the same kind of tweet and comment after they signed uh, Kotkaniemi. That uh, that Montreal had done with Ajo, it was it, almost a, a, a fun, amazing kind of uh, what do you call it? Uh, look into vengeance, I guess you'd see by, by the Carolina Hurricanes. But yeah, you don't see it often, and it was uh, it, it, it's good to know that the system does work from time to time. Curbs in the world we live in, COVID and vaccinations and things are always going to be a headline in sports. And the NHL has come out and uh, provided some of the guidelines and restrictions that players could experience this season. So teams are going to be able to suspend unvaccinated pay- players without pay if they can't participate in hockey activities as part of the protocols. And unvaccinated players are also going to have their movements restricted on the road. There's going to be with coronavirus and COVID testing for vaccinated players. And if fully vaccinated players have a positive test, it's going to be treated as a hockey injury and they're still going to be paid. But um, what's kind of the response in the hockey world to the NHL coming out and taking a harder stance against unvaccinated players? I think it's been positive. I think most of the players have been vaccinated. I don't know the number of blues players that have been vaccinated, but I have been told that it is, it is most of them. Um, and, and this makes complete sense. I mean, look, when, when everything shut down in March of 2020, you, you, there wasn't the option of protecting yourself, right? 
And now you have the option. So leagues are looking at like the NFL is just saying, look, we're not going to, you have the option. If you decide not to, that's on you. But then if something happens, it's also on you. So there's responsibility in this. You know, the National Hockey League, if you're going to be around the players or within 12 feet of the players from an organizational standpoint, they're requiring that you be vaccinated. They're not requiring yet that the players be vaccinated. But the players themselves now know that if you're, if you're not vaccinated and, and you're allowed to go to the team hotel and the rink, you're not allowed to go out and eat at restaurants, you've got to be tested every day still. And there's this whole process that goes on. And because, say, of the border issue, for example, if the team flies up to Canada and you're unvaccinated, you have to quarantine for 14 days. You know, so you're not going to be able to play. Well, that player doesn't get paid then for those games and days that he misses because he was unvaccinated. So I, I think it's a smart move by the National Hockey League. I think it's frankly being pretty doggone well received. And I think it's one of those moves that's an absolute necessity to make sure that you are keeping, uh, you know, the business afloat and the business moving forward. And I have heard from, you know, some players that, that have said they, they know guys around the league that, you know, we're not vaccinated before. It said, well, might as well do it now, but it's going to start hitting me in the pocketbook. Finally, Curbs, on this Labor Day weekend, did you wind up grilling a burger? <laughs> Randy, I did. I did, but now don't get mad at me. I, I adjusted. So uh, you were talking about the burgers last week, uh, right before the holidays. So I went out. I got your recipe from it. I ended up going to Bowman's, which is kind of my butcher of choice right there at Manchester and Brentwood. Right. And I had them, I took their, I took their ground beef mix and had them add in the brisket and did all that other stuff. Oh man, I tell you what, they were a hit. Beautiful. They were awesome. So well done. I'm glad that you did it. We'll have to continue to share recipes. Oh, I love it. I, I'm not. I'm, I'm still. I'm still way too scared to try smoking a carrot cake. Though I'm not even going to try. I'm just going to ask you to cook it every yeah. time I want one. We'll take care of you, my man. Hey, <laughs> have a good one. Thanks very much for uh, joining us on a Tuesday, and have a great week. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, have an awesome week, you too. Thank you. See ya. That is the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber, joining us on 101 ESPN. Kerber's texted me on Saturday, said, hey, what's that uh, What's that burger recipe you got? So I gave it to him. You made so, it again this weekend too, right? I did, yeah. It was fantastic. Sounds great. Hard to, hard to beat. A great burger. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, we've got The Fight on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to Welcome back to Carriker and Smallman on this Tuesday here on 101 ESPN. And it's time for the fight. Chris is going to take on Randy in a sports trivia competition today. What's going on, Chris? How was your long weekend? It's pretty good. Thank you. Awesome. Are you ready to take on Randy this morning? I'm ready. Awesome. Well, let's jump right in. Question number one. Happy 33rd birthday to NBA champion Kevin Love. Love was the 2008 Pac-10 player of the year for which school? Was it USC, Arizona State, or UCLA? Uh, let's go US- UCLA. Mizzou football currently plays in the SEC. Before that, they played in the Big 12 Conference from 1996 to 2011. In which conference did they play from 1907 to 1995? The Mid-American Conference, or the MAC. The I'm sorry, the MAC. The Big 8 Conference, or the Big 10 Conference. The Big 8. 
I understand why you'd say MAC, Emily. I see it so many times every day. That's right. It's the best place to be in St. Louis. Love the Missouri Athletic Club. Question number three. Happy 49th birthday to former Cardinals closer Jason Isringhausen. Happy birthday to Izzy. Izzy was the National League's saves leader in which season? Izzy was the National League's saves leader in which season? Was it 2004, 2005, or 2006? Uh, 2005. And Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hit his 40th home run of the season yesterday, joining a rare father-son club with his father, Vlad Sr., who hit 42 home runs as a 24-year-old with the Expos, as one of just two father-son duos to hit 40 home runs in a season. Who is the other duo? Is it Bobby and Barry Bonds, Cecil and Prince Fielder, or Clay and Cody Bellinger? Uh, The Fielders. All right. Checking our score. Randy's on his way in. Chris, where are you from? Uh, down by Cape Girardeau. Oh, very cool. Are you listening to us on the radio or are you streaming us? Streaming you. Very good. And for those who don't, download the 101 ESPN app. You can stream us anywhere, including Cape Girardeau. Randy, say what's up to Chris. Morning, Chris. How you doing? Good. How are you? Everything's great. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Thank you. Question number one, Mr. Carriker. Mm-hmm. Happy 33rd birthday to NBA champion Kevin Love. Love was the 2008 Pac-10 Player of the Year for which school? UCLA. Mizzou football currently plays in the SEC. Before that, they played in the Big 12 Conference from 1996 to 2011. Mm-hmm. In which conference did they play from 1907 to 1995? The Big 8. Happy 49th birthday to former Cardinals closer Jason Isringhausen. Izzy was the NL saves leader in which season? Izzy in, uh, let's see. Was it 2004 when they won the 105 games? I'll go with that. His 47 in 2004. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hit his 40th home run of the season yesterday, joining a rare father-son club with his father, Vlad Sr., who hit 42 home runs as a 24-year-old with the Expos, as one of just two father-son duos to hit 40 home runs in a season. Who is the other duo? All right. I think that Bobby Bonds hit 41 year. I don't think Ken Griffey Sr. ever hit 40 in a season. Uh, I'll, I'll do the lifeline just in case. All right. Your options I, are. I know those are two of them. Okay. Your options are Bobby and Barry Bonds, mm-hmm. Cecil and Prince Fielder, uh-huh. Clay and uh-huh. Cody Bellinger. See, there you go. Cecil and Prince Fielder. Final answer. Final answer. Good fight today. Close fight. Who came out on top? Emily, ring the bell. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. The winner and still champion of the fight. The fight sponsored by Ryan Kelly and HeroLoan.com. Check out how they help veterans and service members at the new and improved HeroLoan.com. Incredible performance out of Chris. He got three correct, but Megamind cannot be stopped. Randy with the Jack. You heard the late, great Jack Buck's voice there. Randy got all four correct. So Kevin Love was a 2008 Pac-10 Player of the Year for UCLA. Before the Big 12, Mizzou played in the Big 8 Conference from 1907 to 1995. Again, shout out to Izzy, Jason Isringhausen, former Cardinals closer. He was the National League saves leader in 2004, as Randy mentioned, 47 saves that season. And 
Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hitting his 40th home run. He joined that rare father-son club with Vladdy Sr., who hit 42 home runs. He was just They're just one of two father-son duos to hit 40 home runs in the season. The other is Prince and Cecil Fielder. Prince hit 50 home runs in 2007 and 46 home runs in 2009. Um, and his dad, 51 home runs in 90 and 44 in 91. So, Chris... Great performance, but I'm sorry. Randy was just on one today. Uh, thank you very much, though. Thank you. Just win, baby. Man, Randy, just rubbing it in. And I wouldn't say so. And you didn't have a show yesterday, so I really had to bottle that up. Yeah. Just win, baby. Oh, so we get two today. Yeah, Great. Got to do it. All right. There's the fight on 101 ESPN. Coming up, <laughs> we're going to head to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line, and our friend Mike Claiborne will join us next on Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Later on, we're going to give away tickets to Chris Stapleton in concert, and we're going to give you a two-word phrase that pays. So you're going to get one word now, and then the second word later on. Michelle, what do we have for a word? You want to fire the sounder? Oh, yeah. I just That's important, isn't it? Our first word and the phrase that pays is going to be go. Okay. I like it. Go. Go is the first one. Let's head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and our friend Mike Claiborne joins us, as he does every Tuesday morning. Good morning, sir. How you doing? I'm doing well. Hope everybody had a safe holiday. It was terrific. It was good to see you Saturday in Columbia, and a good start to the season for Eli Drinkwitz and crew. Yeah, it was. Um, you know, I, I know some people were expecting them to, to just come out and obliterate somebody, but I think when you... You face a team for the first time. I don't think, Randy, they were showing too much offensively. I think they may have had a script of plays they wanted to run because obviously these next two games with Kentucky and Boston College on the road, you just don't want to give these guys too much of an idea of what you can and can't do. So, But it was good. The only problem is these, these college football games, they're, they're running for over four hours. That, that's too long for any sort of sporting event. It was unbelievable. The last five minutes of the game took a half hour. Whew. Yeah, I mean, it's just, and, and you know, we, we see it in baseball, and, and it's a real concern. And I'm sure the purists will say, well, you know, that's the game. You know, that's the beauty of the game. Well, no, it's not. <laughs> because nobody signs up for four-hour events for a sporting event. Now, obviously, if you've had weather or maybe it's overtime or something like that, but nobody should be out there that long. I'm sorry. It just doesn't work. And we saw it not just in Columbia, but we saw we saw it, you know, in a number of games over the weekend. It just seemed like they go on and on and on. I'm not sure how they fix it. Well, Claves, the Cardinals and Dodgers again tonight. Albert Pujols back in town. It was great to see so many people at Bush Stadium. It was fun to see everyone chanting, we want Albert yesterday. But uh, Randy and I were talking about this during a break. Do you expect to see Albert Pujols tonight? And during the series, would you put money on him hitting a home run? Uh, yeah, I do expect to see him tonight. Um, home run? Boy, that's a good question. Uh, he's Albert, so anything's possible, I guess. Uh, but, you know, you mentioned the crowd. I'd have to say that that crowd yesterday, I'd say 40% of them were Dodger fans. Wow. 
Yeah, there's a lot of blue. I mean, they travel. They travel well, and uh, yeah, they they made their presence felt from the the moment the gates opened. They flooded the stands, and obviously they didn't have anything else to do. Um, but they were there, and they were there in full force. And it's my understanding they've been traveling like that all year. Claims, we can go back to the 98 Yankees, and they were great, but they they weren't a star-laden team. Obviously, they had Jeter, but they had people like Scott Brocious and Tino Martinez and Paul O'Neill. It wasn't a star-laden team in the pitching staff either. I'm wondering, since we've been watching, if this Dodger team might be the most talented group ever put together, since, since I've been watching for about 50 years. Yeah, you know what, Randy? I was thinking the same thing. Uh, even in the era of Garvey and Say and that bunch, they, they still had a loophole here and there, okay? This team is solid from top to bottom. And don't get caught up in the names. I look at the production. Mm-hmm. And I look at a guy like Max Muncy, who's having a heck of a year, uh, hitting in various spots in the order. His on-base percentage is, like, insane. And throw in the fact the guy knows how to get draw a walk. He's always one of the tops in walks. They, they really have a good collection of players, some from their organization, some that they happen to find, you know, like a Trey Turner or a Scherzer and people like that in trades. But it's a real solid team. And you know what? They don't even have Trevor Bauer. And, and from the looks of things, I don't know if he would be effective at this point. But, yeah, they put it all together now. $200-plus million to get that for you. Yeah. But it's, it, it, is, it is a very impressive lineup. And it's almost similar to what we saw with the Giants earlier this year, where they play a lot of people. I mean, it's not just the regular eight they run out there every day. They find a way to get other people in the lineup. And the Giants are a ball club in that same manner where they have a lot of what I would call non-household names. I think if when the Giants roll into town, other than Chris Bryant and Brandon Crawford, I'm not sure most baseball fans in St. Louis could pick out anybody else. Buster Posey. I don't think you could pick out the other six guys with any regularity. Another thing about the Dodgers, a guy like Chris Taylor, who's a really good player, is an 813 OPS. He's played left, center, right, second, short. Muncie obviously can play mm-hmm. first or second. Cody Bellinger can play center field or first base. They've played Mookie Betts at second base. Justin Turner can play second. Uh, their guys are really versatile, and they really make an effort to get them to play multiple positions during the course of the season, too. You know, and I think that's a trend I hope we continue to see. Uh, You know, we kind of got locked in, well, he can play short and hit third, or he can play center field and lead off, and that's all he can do. I think the the quality player of today has to be able to play more than one position. And, and, you know, I look at Chris Bryant, there's another guy, and he's part of this generation of guys that have found their way in a lineup doing different things. And I really think that's a trend of the future that I hope sticks around. Claves, uh, another tough ninth inning for Alex Reyes on Sunday versus the Brewers. Called upon to protect that 5-2 lead. Bases loaded. He serves up that walk-off grand slam. What role would you use Alex Reyes in for the remainder of the season? Wow. You know, that question's been posed a lot. I got to tell you, you know, this is the big league. This is the big boy club. And you're going to have failure. Um, to to baby him in this situation doesn't do him any good. It doesn't do the team any good. It doesn't do his future any good. I got to just run him out there. And, you know, maybe you make some adjustments about approach as far as pitch selection and things of that nature. But 
you know, we're talking about a guy that everybody, well, not everybody, but a lot of people felt like, including Alex, that he'd like to start next year. I think I'd try and be good at one thing before I tried to move on to something else. Now, you know, a good reliever has to have a, sh- a short memory. And, you know, yes, uh, Sunday was one of those things where, like, here we go again. But I, I'm one of those who feels like you gotta, you got to run him out there. I, I think for him to just sit there and think about it and think about it and think about it, I don't think it gets you anywhere. I, I think you got to throw him in the fire because, you know, this is what you do for a living. You, this is the big leagues, and you're going to have those moments. The good ones get up and, and fight through it. The, the ones who don't fight through it find themselves doing something else for a living. And, Mike, there's so much to be said for playing in a sixth month. It's hard for anybody to to play a six-month season. He's never done that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know that Reyes has ever played a five-month season, let alone a six-month season. But Tony always used to tell us, I know he, he said it to you too, the, the difference between good and great is September, is uh, being able to play no that six-month well, and I agree. And, and you know what, Randy? It's not just Alex Reyes. You look around the game, and you throw in the notion that none of these guys pitched a six-month season last year. And, and I'll give you a good example of a team that maybe shot their bullets a little early, and that's the San Diego Padres mm-hmm. in their bullpen. Because they, they're really struggling. They got off to a great start, but somebody should have tapped them on the shoulder and said, hey, fellas, you know, we got a lot of baseball to be played, and September is going to be very important. Remember, a lot of these teams have already went through their minor league system to find out who can pitch. You don't have the luxury, in some cases, where you have some extra arms that you call up. You've got two guys that you can call up. And I think the dynamic of how you prepare for September has started to change, especially with them going into a year where they didn't have a previous season where they had a chance to pitch in the entire year. I want to see another series with both Max Scherzer and Garrett Cole. Like a couple of years ago, Washington and Houston. Now it would be the Dodgers and the Yankees. But I want to see another series with Max Scherzer starting for one team and Garrett Cole starting for the other. Well, let me ask you this. You think it'll be over with quick, the way those guys like to work fast? Yeah. I mean, Scherzer was rolling yesterday, man. I mean, we got out of there at a pretty good pace because neither team was able to score after that after that second inning very much. But my point being, you know, when you work with a, at a good pace, those guys seem to be more successful, don't they? And and both of those guys work at a good pace. But let me run this by you, both of you. Is Scherzer the Cy Young winner this year in the National League? I think he is. Yeah. Do you? I mean, you know, when you start to think about other names, nobody has been able to survive and go as long as him. You know, I mean, I know earlier in the year with DeGrom, but he's done. Uh, there have been some other guys who've had some commendable seasons. I throw away right in that conversation. Mm-hmm. Now, I wasn't sure about it a couple of weeks ago. But, man, I mean, what does Scherzer do? He gives you innings. He can get strikeouts. He can get ground balls. I mean, and he's just a tough hombre. In his seven starts with the Dodgers, Curbs, he has a 1.05 ERA, 63 strikeouts, and five walks. And I believe he's the ERA leader, excuse me, in baseball, right? At 2.28. Yeah, 2.28, that's right. I mean, he's ridiculous. If we voted on him, if we voted on him, I don't think anybody's going to argue too loud. No, no doubt about it. Claves, always good to hear your voice. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. All right, gang, have a great week. You too. That's our friend Mike Claiborne on 101 ESPN. Coming up, the Ozzie Smith 12th Annual Ozzie and Friends Gala is happening October 10th, and we're going to visit with the Wizard about that and more next on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Smith does amazing things for the St. Louis community and his 12th annual Ozzy and Friends Gala is October 10th at the Ritz-Carlton. You can go to ozzysmithgolf.com to purchase tickets and Ozzy is with us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. Always good to talk to the Hall of Famer. Good morning, sir. How you doing? All right, Randy. How you doing? Everything's great. Hey, are you going to make it up to Cooperstown tomorrow? No, I'm not going to make it tomorrow. Um, I have a, a couple commitments that we have made, and when they changed the dates, um, there were commitments that I couldn't get out of. Do you know why they switched the Hall of Fame to Wednesday this year? I have no idea. They didn't <laughs> consult me. So. <laughs> they should. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I have no idea. Well, um, Ozzy, as Randy mentioned, the Ozzy Smith, uh, excuse me, Ozzy and Friends Gala on October 10th, it's at the Ritz. You can go to OzzySmithGolf.com to purchase tickets. A lot of people are going to want to be involved in anything that you do, but please tell people listening who are going to go to the website and check things out what they can expect from the event. Well, you know, we'll, the event includes the cocktail hours, uh, silent and live auction, um, and you have the opportunity. What I've tried to do over the years is bring in uh, Hall of Famers from other sports. I've had Dr. J. I've had Hank Aaron. I've had um, Cal Ripken and Ed Murray together. I did Bob Gibson and Reggie Jackson together. I've had Robin Yount. Of course, I've had Whitey and I've had Willie. Had Bo Jackson. Um, so it, it's been an array of of uh, of people that we here in this area. Um, have, didn't have a chance to meet them or, or visit with them one-on-one or up close and personal. And, and it's just a conversation between the two of us, you know, um, sitting there and giving people a, a different look at how we converse with each other and the things that we talk about. And, of course, you know, PGA Reach was adopted as the national charitable arm of uh, the PGA, and it was formed here in St. Louis for the hosting of the 2018 100 PGA Championship and I've been the president since the inception, and, you know, we're continuing to raise money. And we have three pillars, the three pillars of the youth, military, and diversity. A youth is a comprehensive slate of junior programs that strive to enable uh, access to the game for the youth of all ages, abilities, and backgrounds. And then, of course, one that I'm very proud of is the military, where we're introducing golf to active-duty military and veterans with disabilities to enhance their physical, mental, social, and emotional well-being. And uh, the PGA HOPE program is a free six-week instruction series that is by an adaptive golf-certified PGA professional. And then there's diversity and inclusion. It's, It's about keeping kids in school and preparing them for hopefully bright futures. And by partnering with organizations in North St. Louis, we provided a wraparound education, mentoring service, as well as playing and employment opportunities for the game of golf. And then finally, we also have a PGA Works Fellowship Program, uh, diversifying the golf industry workforce by inspiring and engaging talent from different uh, diverse backgrounds to pursue like key employment positions across the, the golf industry. Hey, Oz, when you talk to Johnny Bench, obviously you're going to talk about his days as a catcher. You came up with him pretty much in his prime. What was it like for especially a young Ozzie Smith to try to steal a base against Johnny Bench? Well, it was always a challenge, you know, because he was so good. He's much like Molina. 
is here. You know, it, it stifles the running game. And, of course, I was part of uh, this organization, which we had a running game, which was part of our offense, you know. So when you have a, a catcher of his caliber, it certainly changes the way you approach the game. And uh, he was um, – he, he was he was he was great in what he did and did a great job with with pitching staffs. Um, you know, I think that that's what a catcher does is he brings out the best in young pitchers and he was great at calling a, a ball game as well. Ozzy, we always like to get your opinion and your evaluation of any player, but especially shortstop. So I want to ask you about Edmundo Sosa, someone we've been seeing more of recently. What do you see when you watch him play? Well, I see somebody who has a lot of energy, who brings a lot to the to the um, to the game. Uh, he, he's excited. You can tell that he loves to play the game. And I think now that he's been given the opportunity, I see. I think people see his real value on any team. And um, you know, it's, he's fun to watch. He's he runs the ball out. He he makes a great play. He made a great play yesterday uh, on a on a line drive that short hopped him, and he stayed with the play and was able to throw the guy out of first base. Hey, Oz, I've been talking this morning about the difficulty of young players learning how to play in a sixth month. Because in the minor leagues, you generally, until this year, with the shortened season or with the lengthened season, delayed season, I guess. But minor leagues, you don't play a sixth month. What was that like, especially when you got here and started playing in October as well? Well, you know, it's always nice to be able to play in October, and I think that that's what you prepare yourself for, you know, a a long, grueling season. And, um, you know, when October does come around, you know, hopefully you've played well enough to to get to October. And it's a different energy. I think that uh, here in St. Louis we've been very fortunate uh, to play in October a lot, you know, so it's something that you look forward to. And I think it's something that you kind of prepare yourself for once the once you get to spring training. You have to prepare yourself mentally, too. When you're at a pennant race and there's pressure on, it's it seems like it would be different in September than it was in the first five minutes, uh, months of the season. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a everything is highlighted uh, in postseason. You know, the things that you do is it's those things that you do. In, in September and October that people remember. You know, you can you can make mistakes or something early in the season and it's forgotten and stuff, but everything is highlighted once you get into postseason play. Ozzy, in addition to the gala and your work with PGA Reach, we know you're involved in the Ascension Charity Classic. This Saturday, September 11th, it's going to be you, Jack Nicholas, Tom Watson, and Craig Berube for the Legends Charity Challenge. Uh, that's going to be amazing. That's quite the foursome. And I heard you on the Cardinals broadcast yesterday with Danny Mack on Valley Sports Midwest, and you said you were nervous for Saturday's <laughs> event. And I was just wondering, you're, you're such a gifted athlete. You're a Hall of Famer. When's the last time that you were nervous doing something athletic? Well, uh, all the time. I think that you you have to to be able to perform. You still have to have some degree of nervousness, uh, you know, because there's always that drive to to be good at what you do. And so much is expected if you're a professional athlete. Uh, expected of you to be able to go out there and perform. And and we certainly don't want to let people down by not being able to go out there and perform well. And you know, golf is one of those things where you may have a good swing today, but the swing tomorrow, you you got to figure it out on the range. So I'm just hoping that uh, when I get out there Saturday, that I got the good 
the good swing going and don't have any aches and pains, and I sleep good the night before. Do you anticipate <laughs> that, that you'll have any questions for the pros, for, for Nicholas and Watson? Like you said, when you're a pro athlete, it's different, but it's such a mental game, and it seems like that's where guys like Nicholas and Watson might be able to give you something. Yeah, right. Uh, I've had the good fortune. I played with Tom on two occasions. I've never had the opportunity to play with Mr. Nicholas, so I'm looking forward to that. And, you know, when you when you play with, with people who are considered the best at what they do, you just soak it up and you take it in because there's always going to be people talking uh, around that are that are talking to them and asking them questions, and you just try and – uh, listen to listen. That's why we have two ears. You you, you listen uh, twice as much as you talk. So you know it's all about listening and absorbing and and uh, trying to understand what it was that they did and 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 you hit it on the head. I think that these guys that were very successful at what they do from a mental standpoint, they were probably a little bit better um, at getting themselves in the right mental frame of mind than than the average player. What do you carry over from? your baseball career that you use for golf? Um, you know, the, the work ethic, you know, you've got to hit a lot of, I've hit a lot of balls and I spent a lot of time in the batting cage. And so the approach is pretty much the same, you know, un, until you, it's, it's a feel thing. You've got to be able to feel it. And sometimes when you get out there and, and uh, it becomes a, a, you get into a stressful situation You've got to be able to mentally go back to what it is that's going to get you back on track when you fall off because we're all going to fall off. It's just like with, with, with hitting or fielding, you fall off, and it's the guys that are able to get themselves back on track the quickest that, uh, that are successful. Looking forward to the October 10th Ozzy and Friends Gala. It is going to take place at the Ritz. You can get tickets now at ozzysmithgolf.com. It benefits PGA Reach. And you can get a table of 10, bring a bunch of people for a slight discount of $2,250, per person if you're going to bring a couple or four. And it'll be great to hear Ozzy Smith and fellow Hall of Famer Johnny Bench in conversation about the sport then and now, I'm sure. Yes, it'll be a lot of fun. It's always a great time, and we always try and give the audience a, an opportunity to uh, ask questions as well. Oz, thanks so much for your time. We do appreciate it, and, and good luck with that, and we'll see you soon. Okay, thanks, Ryan. Take Bye-bye. care. That is the Hall of Famer, Ozzy Smith, joining us on 101 ESPN. I'm not surprised that he would take the same approach to golf that he did to baseball. No. It's all about the process, right? And it's all upstairs, isn't it? It's the things that he did as a little kid to prepare himself to become a major leaguer and then what he did as a good major leaguer to become great. And he's applying the same things now to become a good and great golfer. He's remarkable. By the way, uh, if you aren't aware of it, some people are, some people are not. But the Cardinals tried to get Johnny Bench in the Keith Hernandez trade in 1983. And the Reds actually considered it. Johnny Bench had already announced his retirement. I've asked him about this before. The Cardinals were going to get Bench and a pitcher named Frank Pastore and send Keith Hernandez to the Reds. But they went to Johnny Bench and said, hey, what do you think? And he said, you know, I would have loved to have played for Whitey and played with Ozzy, but I had already announced my retirement. I wanted to spend my career with one organization. He said, if it would have been a different time, I definitely would have done it. He was a 5-10 and 10 player, so he could reject any trade. But that was going to be the trade the Cardinals made rather than getting Neil Allen and Rick Ownby from the Mets. They wanted to trade Hernandez to the Reds for Bench and Frank Pastore. 
Wow. Can you yeah. imagine? Yeah. And he, he would have only spent a half year here from Still. from June 15th to the end of the season. But that would have been interesting to have him end his career with the Cardinals. Yeah, it, it would have been interesting to see him wear the birds on the bat for sure. Yeah. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up next on 101 ESPN, we're going to talk to ESPN's Jeff Darlington as the NFL season starts on a Thursday. It's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. The NFL season will start on Thursday night, and you'll hear it here on 101 ESPN as the Dallas Cowboys visit the defending Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady. So you've got Dak Prescott coming back off the injury and Tom Brady. Pretty big-time matchup. Yeah, except I think the Buccaneers are absolutely going to roll the Cowboys. Do you really? Yeah. What makes you think that? Because I think they're a much better team. Oh, interesting. <laughs> I picked Dallas, uh, but I, I might change now because of Zach Martin being out. Who's right. a really good football player. But Dallas has upgraded their defense pretty substantially. I think it's going to be an interesting game. And I know da- that Tampa is favored by seven and a half. But in his second year, I think Mike McCarthy will get things going. I think Dan Quinn, being the defensive coordinator for the Cowboys, will improve them. I want the Cowboys to get rolled. I'm just not sure they will. (laughs) Is that the game on the week one slate that you're the most intrigued by? Yeah, it is. I mean, it's obviously the opener, so... And it's a marquee matchup, but there's a couple games this week coming up that I'm I'm interested in. I'm certainly interested in our Dolphins versus the Patriots, yep. kind of gauging where both of those teams are at. I am really interested in the Arizona Cardinals Tennessee Titans matchup because I'd like to see where both of those teams are. Where's Kyler Murray this season? And then I also think it. Um, the Monday night game, Baltimore versus Vegas, could be fun, too. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun because Baltimore, they just signed Mark Andrews, their tight end, to a big new contract. But they are down to two running backs now. They lost their top running back, J.K. Dobbins, and they lost Justice Hill over the weekend to a torn Achilles. So they only have two running backs on the roster. They worked out Le'Veon Bell over the weekend. They had worked out Todd Gurley earlier, and they still might sign him, but they've got some issues, and I don't know what to think of the Raiders. Because I don't either. They, they just appear to be a mess right now. I was reading this article this morning. Is Gruden going to be on the hot seat if he has a bad, a bad season after this year? I don't know with the contract if that's ever going to exist, really, the hot seat for him. But you would think at at this point in his tenure that things would be running a little bit more smoothly. You would. And they aren't getting much work out of not much good work, if work at all, out of their premium draft choices. In the last couple of years, they've had three third round picks that they've either cut or traded. One last year, never Lynn Bowden never played a snap for them. They traded him to Miami. They cut a linebacker over the weekend on his birthday, by the way, a third rounder from last year that didn't play for them and was a really good player during training camp. Happy birthday. Yeah, right. You're gone. So I, I don't know what's going to happen there. And by the way, I think another interesting game this weekend is the Sunday night game because the Bears know all about uh, Matthew Stafford, right? They, they've played him enough. Oh, yeah. Rams, Chargers. Yeah, uh, uh, Rams, Rams, Bears. Rams, excuse Bears. Me. Rams it's, Bears. It's yeah. the Sunday night opener. And I don't know. I, I know people are trying to sell the Rams as being this Super Bowl team because Matthew Stafford is there. Matthew Stafford's never won a playoff game. He's never really come up big in the big moments. He's had some really nice comebacks and done some really good things. But we saw how quickly Sean McVay soured on Goff. 
the same thing easily could happen with Matthew Stafford. But I think in the Rams camp, they're saying from a strictly talent standpoint, from a skill set standpoint, Matthew Stafford is better than Jared Goff and is going to provide a different look for this offense. And with the the genius of Sean McVay, mm-hmm. he'll he won't be so limited in the things that he can call. That's what they're saying. Right. And two years ago, the genius Sean McVay said, yeah, give the guy $160 million or whatever they gave him and make him the highest paid quarterback in the league. They did that with Jared Goff just two years ago. Yeah. Coming off a Super Bowl, though, you're in kind of a tough pickle if you're them because they probably didn't think Jared Goff was worth that monetarily. But that's what the market commands for a starting quarterback, especially one that's coming off of a Super Bowl run, even if he's not the best player in your offense. And that's the thing. They could have signed him or not signed him to that extension and had control of him through this year without signing him to that extension. And they decided to give him the long term. Yeah. yeah, there's there's two more games on the slate, Randy, that I'm intrigued by Cleveland at Kansas City. A lot of people are high in the Browns. I really mm-hmm. want to see how real they look because uh, litmus test right out the gate versus the Chiefs, especially in Kansas City. We're going to see how legit this team really is. And Green Bay at New Orleans. I want to see Jameis Winston. Everybody is thinking that maybe Sean Payton, maybe a change of scenery. You might see um, a different version of Jameis Winston, a less turnover prone Jameis Winston. And I'm not sold yet. So I I want him to prove it to me. And I would guess that that game in Jacksonville will be taken over by Cheeseheads because of the hurricane. It's been moved out of New Orleans. Right. And so that home field that New Orleans was going to enjoy. And I understand that New Orleans is closer to Jacksonville and that. Uh, Saints fans had the first opportunity to get tickets. That game's going to be like a Packer home game in Jacksonville. They travel well. Yeah, they really do. Uh, And the other one that you mentioned, I wanted to get back to Kyler Murray. Because now they've given him A.J. Green in addition to DeAndre Hopkins. They've loaded him up with solid veteran receivers. Not that Larry Fitzgerald wasn't a solid veteran receiver. But this should be the year for Kyler Murray to step up and be like a number one pick. And it should be a year for the Cardinals to, even in that division, to be better than they've been. They should compete, theoretically, now in year number three for a division title or at least a playoff spot. Yeah, year three of Cliff Kingsbury, too. Yeah. So I want to find out how good they are. And by the way, I'm rooting for them. And then uh, the the other one that you liked was... what. Uh, So I liked Arizona, Tennessee. Oh, Cleveland, Cleveland. Yeah, Cleveland at Kansas City. Yeah. I'm with you uh, because Cleveland made the playoffs last year, and I think that people feel like the next step is for them to be a Super Bowl team. Yeah, contender or pretender. Right. We're going to find out this year. Last year was the first year Kevin Stefanski was the head coach. Now the rest of the league gets a read on him. Mike Tomlin gets a read on him. John Harbaugh and his staff get a read on him. Not so much Cincinnati. But in that division... They're going to have to play real hard physical football, and we'll see if that's what they play. They played against a diminished Steelers team last year. They have their guys back this year, and they didn't have a lot of success against Baltimore. And Baltimore will have their guys back. They lost their left tackle last year. Granted, they have lost their running backs, but... I still look at Baltimore every week they play as a threat to win the game. Oh, for sure. Uh, When it comes to the Browns, it's always tough week one because obviously as the season goes on, a team will develop more chemistry and they get more into a groove. But I think just from a strictly talent standpoint, 
you're going to see how they stack up versus a team that is a Super Bowl contender in the Chiefs. Maybe they won't win the game, but you'll be able to see how big of a disparity there is between the Chiefs, an actual Super Bowl contender, and the Browns. Do they compare? And what's Odell Beckham Jr. going to do? Can't wait to see what he looks like. Because... He's a guy that demands the ball, and he can be moody at times. And they played good offense last year by running the ball and getting the ball to the guys like Landry and getting the ball to the tight end where they didn't have a lot of people in Baker Mayfield's ear. Now, OBJ, if he's not getting the ball enough, he'll be in Baker Mayfield's ear. And I wonder how that will affect the offense because sometimes even a veteran quarterback subconsciously will say, I better get to, to that guy so he's not yelling at me all the time. You think Blaker, Baker plays that game though? He's uh, the one on the commercials. Yeah, he is. But he's he's I, the one. I, I think mean, sometimes you he just has more do juice. it. Just you, you do it just to get the guy to shut up. Yeah, I don't even know. even veteran quarterbacks, I think, deal with that at times. And I I would have to believe that Mayfield, who's a veteran now, and a playoff quarterback. Heck, Eli. Eli Manning had to deal with that with Beckham, and it bothered him. So I can totally see how, look how many guys Terrell Owens affected. Not to say that OBJ is to the T.O. level, but he is moody and can be a problem for a quarterback. I love the Diva wide receiver. They're a dying breed. Yeah, they are. We need more of them. We, we need more Diva wide receivers to come up. Yep. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It is time now for... You're killing me, Smalls. Before we jump into some sports stuff, Randy, I wanted to give people an opportunity to play a little golf because the weather is beautiful and a lot of people are looking for excuses to go out there and play golf. Mm-hmm. And one of my good friends from home, Lauren, her daughter, Alex, one years old, was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis and they're hosting a golf tournament called Bernie's Birdies for Breathing. It's September 20th at St. Clair Country Club in Belleville, my hometown. And all of the proceeds of this event are going to benefit the CF Foundation. It's going to be an awesome day, lunch from Copper Fire and Belleville. You have a chance to win a BMW X5. You can sink a hole in one. Um, there's a happy hour. There's a silent auction with a ton of great packages such as tickets to the Fox, things like that. So you need to head to birdiesforbreathing.com. Birdiesforbreathing.com if you want to participate. And there's only a couple spots left, so I wanted to make sure, make sure to get the word out so that people can take advantage of that. Great cause. Sounds good. You're killing me, Smalls. All right, Randy. So Brian Kelly, head coach at Notre Dame, has been uh, the topic of many a conversation over the past couple days. So Notre Dame pulled off a 41-38 overtime victory over Florida State in their opening game. And in the post game, he was talking to Katie George of ESPN, and she asked him about the the Fighting Irish's performance in the game. And he had a head-scratching answer. Here's what he had to say. You know, I'm, I'm in favor of uh, execution. Maybe maybe our entire team needs to be executed after tonight. I mean, it, we just didn't execute. Now, he was trying to play off one of the great lines from one of the funniest coaches in the history of the league, John McKay, mm-hmm. who was a longtime coach at USC, went to the Buccaneers, and they lost their first 26 games. And one time at a press conference, John McKay was asked, what he thought of his team's execution. And McKay said, I'm all for it. (laughs) 
little bit better delivery of the line than Brian Kelly. Correct. However, I was surprised to see so so many people angry about, oh, yeah. about him saying that because clearly he was trying to make a joke. It didn't land the way he no. wanted it to, but he wasn't serious in any way. But it just seems like everyone's looking for a reason to be outraged. And Brian Kelly yeah. trying to make a joke gave a lot of people that outlet over the weekend. Yeah, things have changed a lot in our country in the last 10 years in terms of people's senses of humor. And that is one thing, laughing, that appears to have gone by the wayside. Is you, you, People just can't laugh at anything. It's really sad. You're killing me, Smalls. Well, I wonder if they were laughing in Wisconsin, Randy, because a big Big Ten game over the weekend, Wisconsin-Penn State. Wisconsin, it was one of the things that got pushed out on social media from so many people. They do jump around. It's, it is it is one of the best scenes in college mm-hmm. football. And they hadn't done it in a long time because of the pandemic and it was so great to see the crowd doing jump around in unison the aerial shots of it were incredible a lot of people got very emotional because it felt like college football is back watching this scene but the game didn't turn out so great for the Badgers 16 to 10 loss at the hands of Penn State and the Nittany Lions post game they let everybody know that they didn't appreciate the jump around or that maybe they were going to celebrate in their own way So Penn State in the visitor's locker room, playing jump around to celebrate, putting it on social media. Your thoughts? Uh, kind of lame. It, it's one of the great traditions. It's it's a fan tradition in Wisconsin. It's not a tradition among the players necessarily, although the players do like it. I remember a few years ago, one of the visiting teams was jumping along with the players because it is one of the coolest sights in all of college football. Much cooler, by the way, than the whiteout at Penn State. If you're talking about sights, right? You'd much. I'd rather watch jump around from the Wisconsin fans and a bunch of Penn State fans sitting there wearing white. I've been to a game in Madison. Incredible experience. Mm-hmm. Have not been to Penn State. Have not been to a whiteout game at Penn State, so can't really compare. But when they do jump around in Madison, the entire place shakes. Yeah. It's unbelievable. So, and Penn State should be better when you win a game, act like you've won a game before. But also you could say, Wisconsin, if you don't like it, play better. Yeah, you can. But... Do it to the players. Do it to the other team, not to the fans. I mean, why tread on one of the great traditions in college football? I think it's a little bulletin board material for Wisconsin for a future matchup. I think it is, yeah. You're killing me, Smalls. So we know that Mac Jones is QB1 in New England. And an interesting report coming out over the weekend from former Patriot Rob Ninkovich after Cam Newton's release. So during the Dan and Ninko show last week, he revealed that Mac Jones was apparently helping Cam Newton learn the playbook and not the other way around, which you would think would happen not only because Cam Newton is a veteran player, but because he'd been in the system before, same offensive coordinator and Josh McDaniels. But Rob Ninkovich said Mac was having less mental errors and a better understanding of the offense. have no reason to believe that Ninkovich didn't hear that from inside the walls of Patriot Place. And that sort of thing would be alarming for any team I would think that is thinking of picking Cam Newton up because you're getting him right at the beginning of the season. He's got to learn an offense in a hurry. If he didn't know their offense after a year, then that's a real problem. And maybe 
the fact that he wasn't vaccinated was beyond the only reason that he got let go. Maybe it was because the rookie knew the offense better than he did. I thought that was a surprising report. Rob Ninkovich certainly tied in with the Patriots. Mm-hmm. He would he would know what was going on. But we never really heard anything in regards to Cam Newton not being able to grasp a playbook before. And that certainly wasn't a report that came out of New England at all last season. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that it didn't happen. But you would just think if something like that were to exist, that someone would have heard something about it. And it would have been brought up when you're talking about the Mac Jones, Cam Newton debate. Somebody would have said, well, I think he, maybe he's not grasping the playbook. And Mac Jones is having a better time. It's just it's an in- interesting timing for this to come out. There was a report at Pro Football Talk. They had a source that said that there were a group of former players that were Brady guys. And when Brady left, they weren't going to like anybody that replaced Tom Brady. And it just so happened to be Cam Newton. Hmm. Which I get. Yeah, makes sense. But you don't. Uh, it's detrimental it, to them to not open up to whoever is yeah. going to be their quarterback. But when you have somebody who has not only been your teammate for so long, but that you followed and has dictated your success for so long, it's hard to change. Right. But if you are Rob Ninkovich, you have a pretty large platform. This became a national story. And was it the responsible thing to do for a fellow NFL player in Cam Newton? Good question. If it's true, it's fine. But if it's not, if he was just a Brady guy and he was mad that Cam Newton was Cam Newton, the guy that replaced Cam Newton, uh, Tom Brady, then he really does a disservice to a fellow NFL player who's trying to get another job. Well, people talk. And now that this report is out there, I heard them talking about it on on the morning show on ESPN Mm -hmm. Uh, today. I imagine this is something that's going to persist. If, in fact, that was happening, I think more people will come out and say, yeah, you know, Mac Jones was really helping him. But I think kind of on the flip side for me, too, it's not. Yes, it's important from the Cam Newton side of the coin because it may impact his future and other teams being interested in him. But I think I'm that much more impressed with Mac Jones that in such a short amount of time, he had such a grasp on the Mm -hmm. playbook that he was able to tutor another player on it. Remember, it's the Josh McDaniels playbook, though. Uh, what what did he do with Sam Bradford? Naked bootleg on a high ankle sprain? Yes, he yeah, did that. Okay, I remember that. That did happen. Gosh. <laughs> and we were like, what are you doing? This is not Tom Brady. We all know better. What are you Why doing, don't you? Josh? Oh, my gosh. Bad times. Bad times. You're killing me, Smalls. Well, good times for Albert Pujols in St. Louis. Obviously, we had so many magical memories with him while he was wearing the birds on the bat. And his return to Bush Stadium with the Angels was so, so special. There were chants of, we want Albert at Bush Stadium yesterday. We didn't see him. I think a lot of people are thinking and hoping that we see Albert Pujols play tonight. And when he came to St. Louis with the Dodgers prior to yesterday's game, he talked about how special his last trip to Bush Stadium was. I think I took 13 player periods and all the 13 player periods I had a standing ovation and they were standing until I tipped my cap to them. And I think that's, that's something that, that was really special to me. I think uh, as rank out there, probably one of, if it's not the best moment of my career, probably out there, you know, one and two, you know, including the war series. So uh, that's something that I that I would treasure forever. That's something that I would cherish forever with my family and friends that were part of that 2019 hot summer, uh, you know, uh, in San Luis. But uh, I, I really, I really enjoy it. I'm looking forward to to enjoy that again this week. 
Isn't that remarkable? Here's a guy that has won three MVPs. He's hit so many walk-off home runs, been a part of so many big wins, but the reception that he got from Cardinal fans is right there with his world championships Mm -hmm. as his top or top two moments. Tied for first. It's incredible, and I think that's why it hurt so badly when he left because that adoration on both sides and that connection is so deep between Cardinal fans and Albert Mm -hmm. Pujols. And I think for him, too, it was probably uh, a lot of emotions going into that game. He might not have known exactly how he was going to be received because he did leave, even though it was a long time ago and time heals all wounds. But I'm sure it was so special for him to not only be back in St. Louis, where he said he had such such strong roots and continues to, but to just have have that moment with the fans of I miss you. You miss me. We did a lot of great things together. All love. I think it's better that he wound up leaving because I do too. right after 2011, we were Twitter started in what? Oh, nine, something like that. Somewhere That's when it really there, yeah. became a thing. And it, it kept growing and the anger on social media. If he would have performed offensively the way he did in Anaheim in St. Louis, there would have just been so much vitriol. It would not have been a pleasant experience, I don't think, for him or anybody watching it. Which is why when we had the conversation when he was leaving the Angels, should the Cardinals go after him, I was apprehensive to that idea, not because I didn't think that Albert Pujols could be beneficial to the team in a lot of different ways, but because I didn't want his experience with the Cardinals to be tainted with anything negative. I didn't want him to come here and be in a clutch situation and maybe not be able to deliver, even though with Albert Pujols, you always bet on him. I I just didn't want him to be any sort of ire for for the fans. I wanted that last moment with the Angels to stand because it was so remarkable. And he's been used perfectly by the Dodgers. I I don't think the spot was here for him to be used perfectly because of Paul Goldschmidt being at first base. But when you look at what he's done in L.A., He's at 261, 303 on base, 479 slugs, 782 for his OPS. He has hit 11 homers and driven in 36. He's been pretty darn good there. So I don't think that the opportunities to play first base would have been what they are here. And I just want to move to what he's done against left-handers this year because he can still hit left-handers. And if the Cardinals would pursue him as a left-handed hitting DH next year, and he wasn't going to have to hit against right-handed pitching, I think that would be the best opportunity for him. Against left-handers in 2021, a 301 batting average, 336 slug, six or 618 slug, 336 on base. He's got a 954 OPS against left-handed pitching this year. Wow. And he's got 123 at bats against lefties, 128 against right-handers. So he can still hit, and I would think that the Cardinals will, if we do have the DH, which everybody seems to agree we will, in the National League next year, why not have him be your right-handed hitting DH? I think people would show up to the ballpark to see him play. I would think so, too. As evidenced yesterday. Yep. Hey, Michelle. You know what that means. It's time for word number two. Word number two for Chris Stapleton tickets uh, for next Thursday night, September 16th at the Hollywood Casino Amphitheater. Tickets for Stapes are on sale now. We're tight. Me and Stapes. Stapes. Yeah. (laughs) Stapes. Uh, And you can find a bonus chance if you don't win this. You can find a bonus chance to win free tickets for Chris Stapleton right now at 101ESPN.com and on the 101 ESPN mobile app. But right now, the phrase that pays. So we gave one word for the Stapes concert in the 8 o'clock hour. The second word, if you were listening in the 8 o'clock hour, you know what it was. We're not going to reveal it here. The second word is dolphins. 
Dolphins. And this is a hot ticket. This is a, lo- a lot of people are spending premium money to go see yep. Chris Stapleton or Stapes, as Randy calls them. And you could go courtesy of 101 ESPN. You can. So all you need to do is text in the phrase that pays. And if you are texter number 45, you can be the winner of the Chris Stapleton tickets. 65780. Yep. And we should point out as well, Michelle, that Albert Pujols will indeed join the fast lane this afternoon at 3.30. I will be tuned in. Here on 101 ESPN. So uh, Anthony, Jamie, and BT will We'll be talking to Albert. Coming up, we're going to head down the stretch and visit with Danny Mac. The Danny Mac Show coming up at the top of the hour here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Danny Mac did not hear the the fight today or the aftermath of the fight, which was pretty fun for me. Randy. Yeah. So, of what? I got a good effort. That was cool. I was happy about it. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Hi, Dan. Well, good morning to you guys. How are you? Why do you rub it into the uh, listeners' faces? No, was, they I pay your salary. Pointing out some factual uh, things here. Yeah, you're rubbing it right in their face. I wasn't doing that. Yes, at all. you were. You were being a braggart. <laughs> I think it's because we were off yesterday, Dan. So he didn't get his small yeah, victory I guess so. dance yesterday. Yeah. So it's a big one today. Did you guys have a good weekend? I had a good weekend. Yeah, it was fun. Good. Went and saw the new uh, monkey exhibit at the zoo yesterday. It was awesome. Great. Took was... a selfie with Phil. Is that right? Yeah. Is How Phil many? a monkey? Phil a gorilla. Phil's Phil a gorilla. gorilla. Yeah. Oh, okay, great. He's a beauty. Is that right? Who'd you go with? Fam. The fam went. Yeah. We're zoo members. We we love the free zoo, but we don't make it free for us. But the zoo is great. Our St. Louis is zoo is Phil the statue, the gorilla statue? Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's Phil, of course. Yeah. Yes, I know Phil. Yeah, Very familiar. Very nice. Let's put Randall. that up on the Insta. You can well, follow, you had a follow me on the Beautiful day, didn't you, with the family there? Oh, that was great. Yeah, awesome. did some barbecuing. Great. Got a bike ride in, played some golf. How about you? I was at the ballpark. A lot of people there yesterday. Disappointing start. No Albert. No Arenado. No Yachty. Uh, and no win. <laughs> it's hard to beat Max Scherzer. Well, he was awesome. Um, was disappointed though when you have that huge crowd that you don't put. Um, Nolan and, and Yachty in the lineup. And I get it from a baseball perspective, guys need to get a rest. Mm-hmm. But you did have your biggest crowd of the year. I uh, would have liked to have seen those two in. And I'm not saying they make the difference as to whether or not you win or lose, but I do think it's important to put, you know, it's the entertainment business, put the best lineup that you can out there. Um, you know, I mean, you, you think back to when Whitey was managing, it was always Ozzy was going to play home games. Yep. I mean, and McGuire was going to play mm-hmm. under Tony. And But you know what? You do have those. I just think it's magnified this year when you finally get that great crowd there and you didn't have those guys in there. And I'll tell you what, it took me back uh, to when that that was like baseball what we had pre-pandemic mm-hmm. with the crowd that we had. It was a good crowd. Unfortunately, the crowd was kind of taken out of it after the first uh, half inning by Michaelis. It was 31 pitches. You're down 4 nothing. But um, it was nice to see just a big crowd. It was great. And I, I would imagine, I, I think my understanding is we're going to have well over 30,000 tonight, tomorrow, and uh, I think again on Thursday, which is the day game. Great. Yeah. Well, as we heard from the crowd yesterday, they want Albert. Yeah, it was interesting in the, in the ninth inning. And, you know, I... I to me, Dave Roberts is in a in an interesting spot in this series, and I did talk about it during the game. Is 
there really was not the spot that you want him to hit in from a baseball perspective. You had a right-handed pitcher up. He's not doing that against righties. You have a lead. He's not going to be the guy that you want out there defensively, too. So it wouldn't have made sense. Now, if you are leading your division by 10 games, maybe you make that move. But they're going back and forth with the Giants, so every out, every game is important for them. And I wonder if Pollock wouldn't have been hurt on Saturday night. So you have a defensive outfielder, if it would have been different. Because then if you yeah, had you Taylor, could put him in, in, then, yeah. then you could have pinch hit for Taylor yesterday, for right. example, and then put Pollock out there. But now you really don't have anybody that you, you can count on to put out there if Albert is your hitter, so if, if he pinch hits. He'll be in there tonight, my understanding, against Hap. I don't know if that's been officially announced, but all indications were that Dave Roberts said, hey, if a lefty's on the mound, we're going we're gonna to play him. Um, and then on Thursday, you know, we'll see if KK makes that start. Now, he is scheduled to make the start, but with what how he pitched on Saturday against Milwaukee, we, we just don't know. Um, things can change quickly, but uh, we'll see what happens. Who do you think, if KK isn't the guy, do they go to Woodford? I would think he would be certainly in the conversation. He was good. Yeah. Really good on Saturday. That's probably the best I've seen him pitch. Um, I would imagine that, yeah, he's in the, the conversation to do that. And the, the bullpen now is, I mean, all roles are up for for grabs, I would think. I mean, yeah. you got a couple of guys that, that I feel comfortable with when they come in, and that'd be McFarlane and Garcia. But outside of that, you, you just don't feel comfortable with what's going on with the bullpen. No, not at all. No. It's a shame. Yeah. I mean, it's, Sunday was just a, mm. a kick in the gut, Yeah, that among was, other places. Yeah, it really was. <laughs> hey, one other thing, and... Ozzy, who's on the Hall of Fame board, didn't know the answer to this. I wonder if you do. Do you know why the Hall of Fame ceremony was moved to Wednesday? I, I, I'm not sure. Um, I It is interesting that it's on a Wednesday and not a weekend. Now, I talked to Larry Walker. I guess it was, uh, well, we've been texting back and forth, but we, we spoke uh, beginning of the season and his understanding, I mean, this is what it's gone for, for those guys and Ted Simmons and the others. So they went from the thing being canceled then then it was going to be just uh, broadcast, and they could only have like seven or eight people of their immediate family in, like mm. no nobody else. And, I mean, it was going to be strict that they were going to let those guys be in there with those people. Then it became, okay, we're going to open this thing up for X amount of people, and now it's become – and then they pushed it back again to where – now it's open and available for anybody that wants to go. I, I, I don't know. I would have to wonder if it has to do with something with Jeter, with as many people as yeah, I was thinking that too. the Yankees are going to uh, bring for him. But I, I don't know. It is odd to have it on a on a Wednesday. Yeah, it is. Yeah. What do we have coming up on the show? Uh, BK is back. And uh, yeah, Emily. I was going to say one of my friends is a former intern mm-hmm. in Cooperstown, and he's on his way up there now. And I had texted him during one of the breaks, and he said he will get the scoop for us. Oh, we like scoops. Oh, yeah. Here's scoops. With DannyMac.com. Absolutely. A lot of great content there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. BK is back from his bachelor party, so we'll break it all down for the next hour. Break down the bachelor party? Yeah, we'll get into that a little bit. Is that safe for radio? I don't well. I don't know what he did. Depends on what they what they did on the bachelor party. Yeah. I don't know. You never know. Speaking of parties, you can join the fast lane in Chicago in just a few weeks. A special road trip to Wrigley. You can potentially win your way in on the fun by visiting any Walter Knoll location in the St. Louis metro area. Find the QR code in the store and get entered to win a two night hotel stay, an invitation to an all inclusive happy hour party with the fast lane plus a hundred dollar gas card and more. Get all the details on the special Chicago trip giveaway with Walter Knoll in the fast lane. 
streaming now at 101ESPN.com. Thanks, Emily. Great job by our producer engineer, Emily Butcher. Thank you. Michelle, you're heading out to a golf tournament now. I am for the Little Bit Foundation at Glen Echo today. It's going to be a wonderful day. Have a great time. And are you we playing? Will... Or are you just no, seeing? I, I am doing? on the Young Professionals board, so awesome. I will be volunteering. Awesome. So if you're there, say hi to me at the sign-in no, that's desk. A, it's a great group. Yeah. They do great stuff. For all of us, we thank you for tuning in, texting in, being a part of the show. Till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.